Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. His eyes were so captivating, you could just see down into his soul that he was a good, decent person. When he was loyal, you had his commitment, you knew you had a, a teammate, a teammate for life. John's sacrifice in the line of duty on March the 3rd and March the 4th of 2002 was all about putting others ahead of himself. I knew he was as trained as he could be, and if something did happen, that is just the way it was meant to be. After losing one teammate out of the back of a helicopter, he immediately started working with a gunship to put eyes on, uh, to recover him, to get back home. He decided in his own mind that to safeguard his teammates' lives, that he couldn't do that and protect his own life. John sacrificed himself for others. When I went to Valerie's doorstep, to tell her that John wasn't coming home. And I saw those two, those beautiful little girls. There were five and three at the time. And I thought, you know, they're gonna grow up without their daddy. I just, I think of that every time I think of John. If John was to find out he was receiving the Medal of Honor, he'd be very humbled by it. He was doing his job, and that's what he would tell you. He would probably want to recognize the other men that lost their lives. Even though he did something that he will be awarded the Medal of Honor for, he would not want the other guys to be forgotten, you know, that they were part of the team together. And I think he would say that part of this Medal of Honor was not just for him, but it was for all of the guys that were lost on that mountain. He was an authentic, true hero. And I'm glad and proud to say that I was one of his teammates. Thank you for giving your life to our country. And I'm very proud of you. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 27th of August, year of our Lord, 2018. And that is the hero from Operation Anaconda. Air Controller Chapman, and he finally got his Congressional Medal of Honor. And you're saying, well, why is that up front? Well, as I've always said, give a suggestion, I'll do that suggestion. And I got an email this week from a guy named Fred, which I don't think is his real name, but that's cool, Fred, in San Jose, that why don't for a change we do the news and social media nuggets up front, the funny stuff, the crazy SJW stuff, and then do the politics on the back end. Good idea. So we're doing it in honor of you, Fred in San Jose. And then there was another suggestion from a local listener that made really great sense. So going forward, we're going to alter the format of the show. I always do tweets of the day, and then I do the hate tweets. And the person said, why don't you just do hate tweets and then do a tweet of the day? Because it would make more sense since they're all hate. And you know what? That does make a lot of sense. So we're going to 
definitely flip it from now on, and we'll just go straight into hate tweets. The horrible bumper for tweets of the day will go away, and we'll have a just a hate tweet, and then the yay from the little kids when it's a good one. Um, it spurred me also to make some new bumpers, so we're going to have some new bumpers on today's show. We're going to have a new military corner bumper that uh, we concocted this weekend, me and the wife. And from now on, going forward, we're not going to have music. Um, theoretically, when I'm doing music on the show, I'm actually violating my terms of service with SoundCloud uh, because I don't you know, have the rights to play that stuff. Most podcasts do it, but um, I'm not going to. It's because I don't have the rights. And uh, we'll do atmospherics from now on. Rain, snow, something just to give you a little moment of zen of your work. And you can just visualize an ocean or a snowstorm or a blizzard or A-10 strafing or Apaches, which is my uh, moment of zen. So uh, we'll, we'll have that as our music. So let's just quit me yapping up front and let's get to Military Corner. and be all you can be for it's an adventure for the few the proud the brave in military corner so as we started off chapman has finally gotten his a uh, congressional medal of honor 16 years after he sacrificed himself defending his team on a 10,000-foot peak known as Takagar in Afghanistan, Air Force Technical Sergeant John Chapman has received the Medal of Honor. In a ceremony at White House on Wednesday, President Donald Trump presented the posthumous award to Chapman's wife, Valerie Nessel. A military aide read the citation during the ceremony, which detailed the airman's incredible heroism and sacrifice of his life for the lives of his teammates. Chapman's actions occurred on March 4, 2002, during Operation Anaconda, the largest battle involving conventional U.S. troops in Afghanistan war. While attached to SEAL Team 6 as a combat controller, the team's expert on airstrikes and communication, Chapman was one of the first off the helicopter as the team tried to rescue a fallen SEAL. Trudging through high... Thigh-deep snow, Chapman and others fought back against Al-Qaeda fighters that had dug in on the mountaintop. And when the team fell back under withering enemy fire, Chapman remained behind on a, for an hour and attempted to cover the approach of a quick reaction force before he was shot and killed. Despite severe mortal wounds, he continued to fight relentlessly, sustaining a violent engagement with multiple enemy personnel before he make, making the ultimate sacrifice. And I won't read the full citation, but... That is, of course, polished 
because he was left. They thought he was dead. And only under Predator drone, which at the time, seeing that I'd seen that footage, um, at least the Roberts portion where you actually see them kill Roberts, um, it wasn't as clear as you think, you know, clear and present danger on TV is. Um, it wasn't like that yet. You know, now they have it, but it, it wasn't HD quality. And, um, of course, as they reviewed it, you could see the guy fighting in the bunker and uh, eventually being killed. So, uh, fantastic that he finally was awarded this. Um, very heroic. And, of course, you know, being that I was part of that operation, day one, March 2nd, 2002, something near and dear to my heart. So, a true American hero. Great to see. Valor Awards provide a glimpse at the quiet dangers of Afghanistan advise and assist mission. Soldiers of the 10th Mountain Division had just finished clearing a remote compound with Afghan security forces in southern Afghanistan, Helmand Province, when the Taliban opened up on them. When I tell you that the sky is lit up with enemy fire, RPGs, mortars, and small arms fire, it literally lit up the sky. That's how much we were getting shot at, said Specialist Miles Shoemaker, an infantryman with 1st Battalion, 87th Infantry Regiment, 1st Brigade Combat Team, recalling the October 26, 2017 firefight with Taliban forces. That will always be in my mind, just seeing bullets and tracers come over your head, snapping and whizzing and hitting things in front of you. It was pure chaos, but I felt very calm during the entire situation, like I knew what I was doing the entire time. Shoemaker's unit was advising and supporting Afghan forces as part of Operation Freedom Sentinel, the military mission that began in Afghanistan at the close of formal combat operations in late 2014. Today, the Army's new 1st Security Force Assistance Brigade has taken over the train, advise, and assist mission in Afghanistan. The October 26th battle, recently made public due to valor awards given for heroism in the fight, offer a snapshot of the dangers U.S. troops continue to face quietly as they fill supporting roles in the country far from the public spotlight. The force of about 70 Afghans and U.S. soldiers had air-assaulted into the area with four CH-47 Chinook helicopters that night to search compound suspected of Taliban activity. And it goes on to show you it's still a war. We may ignore it, and being that the you know the media is fixated on Trump, Russia, he's going to get impeached, yada yada yada. Nobody talks about it anymore, but it's there every day, and it's still a war, and it's disgusting, just disgusting, how nobody knows. Nobody cares. It's a byline of somebody dies. Now, granted, not to politicize it, back in the day I thought, well, we got a Republican president again. We're going to start talking about the wars and the deaths. And they did it with Africa, <clears throat> the SEAL attack with Africa. They, they, they did say it was his fault, it's his Benghazi. There was a lot of politicization. But when you really break it down, we don't talk about it that much. Um, and, and that's a crime in my book. Our next segment is North Platte, Nebraska. Um, as stated on the show, I've been watching the Waltons, and a canteen was this episode where they did a canteen. And so I looked it up to find out what it was, and this one was amazing. It started December 25th, 1941, so basically three weeks after the attack. And it went all the way to April 1st, 1946. Six million service member 
were fed on this. Every troop train went through. They got sandwiches, cookies, coffee, cakes, and goodies. And there were like 6,000 volunteers that came from all over Nebraska to just give these guys a send-off. There were hundreds of them in the United States, places you never would have thought there was a train station, but there is. And they all did it. But this North Platte one was the biggest. And I found a soundbite because it's a time in our country when, you know, we supported our soldiers. People went all the way to help. And it was a united effort. Whereas, you know, now every war is a politicized pile of shit. And nobody really cares. They just go to the mall. Far from here, just east, a number of miles, is the town of North Platte, Nebraska. Anybody know North Platte, Nebraska? You've been there. North Platte's out there. It's, you know, you got to want to go to North Platte. In 1941, it was a town of 12,000 people. The Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 12,000 people at this Union Pacific Railroad hub called North Platte. Ten days later, there was a train coming through with National Guard troops. The word went out it was Nebraska National Guard troops, and so some folks baked cookies and stuff and went down to the train. And they went down to, to give them some cookies, but they looked in the windows, and it wasn't Nebraska guys. They couldn't find any of their own. It turned out to be Kansas. But they stood there, you know, with the cookies and the cakes and stuff, and finally one young woman by the name of Ray Wilson, a drugstore clerk, said, well, I'm not keeping my cookies. I'm not taking my cookies home. She stepped up and gave them to one of the young men, and then everybody gave their stuff. Immediately after that, when they started moving army troops through and sailors and stuff, Ray Wilson organized some women, and they decided they were going to meet the trains that came through North Platte, Nebraska. Bob Green, a journalist from Chicago Tribune, has written about this in a book called Once Upon a Town. And they started to meet the trains. And over the next four and a half years... They organized mostly women, 55,000 women. And they met every train that came in, sometimes up to 32 trains a day. And the Union Pacific Railway gave the restaurant to them, and they dubbed it the North Platte Canteen. And they got 10 minutes to get off the train. These guys would jump off the train, run in there, and there would be wall-to-wall tables with sandwiches and cakes and pies. One woman said, my job during the war was to make... Ten angel food cakes from scratch with turkey eggs every week in the back of that train station. Everything was rationed. People had to give it out of their own goods. Only $5 came from the government. And it was a check from Franklin Roosevelt. Said, I heard you're doing some good things out there. And he sent five bucks. The people of these towns like yours all over that area came there. During the course of the war, I mean, these guys would jump out of the train, run in there, and there'd be hot coffee, there'd be donuts, there'd be pheasant sandwiches in season. And I said this at the Nebraska governor's prayer breakfast, and the senator came to me afterwards and said, sometimes pheasant sandwiches out of season. And uh, they'd get back on the train, and, and, and they'd go off, many never to return. 
During the course of the war, six million United States servicemen and women came through North Platte, Nebraska, and every single train was met. And the story would go something like this. A guy would say, I graduated from Brooklyn High School, never been out of New York City, went down and signed up on Monday. They put me on a train going west. I rode for three days a night, sitting up, eating K-rations, not taking a shower, and somebody in the middle of the night said, North Platte, Nebraska, next stop. Never heard of North Platte, Nebraska. Jumped off the train, ran into a place, and I saw girls who looked like my sisters and my cousins and women who looked like my aunts and my mom. And they had all this food, and they just they gave it to us. And when we left, they hugged us, and they said, Sailor, we're praying for you. God bless you. And we get back on the train, scared out of our minds, not knowing where we were going, not knowing if we'd ever come back. But when we went into that place for 10 minutes, something went away. We got back on the train, and we went on. And in the middle of the night in France, with mortars coming down, when there was a lull on the finding, a voice would come out of the darkness saying, wouldn't it be great to be back in North Platte for five minutes? Because love chases away fear. And when Bob Green interviewed these guys, they'd start crying. 85-year-old guys start crying. He said, what are you crying for? He said, because here I was, an 18-year-old kid, scared to death. And I went into that place. And for five minutes in the middle of the night, in a place I'd never been to with people I'd never met, going to a place I didn't know, somebody loved me and was kind to me. I told this story in Denver. A couple years ago at the 60th anniversary of Youth for Christ Campus Life, the young woman came up to me the next morning and said, when you were telling that story, I thought about my grandpa. My grandpa was in the Navy and he lived in Pennsylvania. And I wondered, did he go through North Platte, Nebraska? She said, my grandpa's 90 years old in a nursing home and he has dementia. He doesn't remember us most of the time. But I called him and I said, Grandpa, this is Jennifer. And I said, Grandpa, does the name North Platte, Nebraska mean anything to you? And he said, North Platte, Nebraska, instantly he was lucid. You bet it does. He said, I went in there and they gave me donuts and sandwiches and coffee and they shined my shoes. You bet I remember North Platte, Nebraska. What is it, 60 years after the fact, that brings a 90-year-old man out of dementia? When you're scared and you're 18 and you're going off to war and on the way, Somebody loves you and is kind to you. America's military services facing the awesome effects of yet another war are being deployed even as this video plays. Resources, however, are available to encourage these men, women, and their families in much the same way as the North Platte Canteen marked its historical place in serving our nation's military. These men and women of the armed forces will step upon treacherous soil that will leave them with questionable futures as to their welfare and their return to home and family. But military ministry, just like North Platte, is there to give them the encouragement, love, and support in the difficult times ahead. Pretty amazing, and and most of us are too young to know about this stuff, but um, I thought it was just fantastic. Our next one was brought to us by my better half. 
GG in Tennessee. Man arrested outside Fort Campbell with loaded gun and multiple magazines. A free speech auditor attempted to film the inside of a military installation along the Kentucky-Tennessee border earlier this month, only to find himself being detained by the United States Army military police. Clad in hunting camo and an orange vest, a YouTube free speech auditor, who goes by the name Constitutional Hero, a.k.a. CH, walked up to Fort Campbell Gate in August with and while armed with several cameras, a Bursar Thunder 380 ACP, and four extra magazines. He believed that he was on public land. He's a douche nozzle. And here's the soundbite that he put up there thinking that he is such a fighter. He is a free speech fighter. And all he does is sound like a total gigantic cock. I am armed, by the way. It's on my right side. USDS survey states that I'm well within Tennessee property boundary. I'm not. No, I'm not. This is a great birthday present, by the way. I might have a knife in that boot, I'm not sure, and I do have multiple mags on me as well. Okay, where are the mags? Uh, in my pants. Okay. Other side. Mm-hmm. Considering that's a, that's a county gas line, I know I'm well within my rights. If you can see it in my GoPro, I am being arrested right now. in my boot as well. Yes, sir. 
So was even on safe when it came out, so it was, it was on fire. I just put it on safe. He's being detained right now. He was uh, on the insulation. He wasn't even close to the first lane, and um, he was most definitely armed with a beam. So the mag is out. They're still around the chamber. I told him to stop. I'm gonna wait for an FBI to come out here and drive it up. So I'm gonna call. Him. I'm, I'm gonna call him now. I just uh, wanted to give you the update. Uh, we are literally. Um, we're right outside of the metal gates. Um, we're still. We're still on post Oh my gosh, he had like two full, full mags on him, as well as the one in the... Three. I know. Right. Got it. Actually, four. Four mags on him. got my hands behind my back. Alright, uh, yeah, I'm going to call one out here right now. Military installations go to the road, dumbass. You can't take pictures, dumbass. You can't carry a gun, dumbass. People are just stupid. These free staters and the auditors and just, uh, man, just understand. If there wasn't rules or cops and all this stuff, we'd live in the wild, wild west. I was just flipping through the channels and Wyatt Earp was on. It was one of the scenes where he's trying to take back over Dodge City. We'd be living in Dodge City. We would. So, off to college crazy, and, and it's a rarity we have a soundbite, but this is a real thing. This was sent to me by Matt in Oregon, my brother, and I, uh, I, I'm speechless. When it comes to Canada, the city of Toronto is the epicenter of feminism. A few years ago, top feminist academics gathered at the University of Toronto. These women came armed with their doctorates in medieval art, women's studies, and 6th century English. So what were one of the topics that these academics decided to discuss? If human flatulence could be sexist. Dear God. First world problems anyone? Ashley Ingle, a self-described proud feminist, argued patriarchal gender norms did not allow women to release gas in public because of men's unreal expectations of women to be clean and feminine. Furthermore she barked that if a woman was to fart in front of a man, and the man responded by farting louder than the woman, then that would be rape. There you have it. I Canadian MGTOW. 
am a serial rapist. While I was married, any time my wife farted, I would try to at least respond with a fart, if not a bigger one. This was a silly game, and we both enjoyed it. Especially when I got a big one. Anyhow, is it an unreal expectation for a woman to be clean and feminine? Heck, if the feminists had their way, both men and women would be feminine, seeing how much they hate any form of masculinity. And now, masculine farts, too. This feminist, who I will refer to as Adolf Titler, goes on, and on, and on to cry. By farting louder, the man is using passive-aggressive violence, to position himself as dominant, this intimidates the woman to subconsciously not release as much flatulence and thus the woman fearing for her safety doesn't fart as loud as a sign of submissiveness, this in turn contributes to rape culture and women being oppressed. Seriously, I cannot make this stuff up. Lo and behold my favorite Canadian feminist, Stephanie Guthrie, entered the fray. You may know her from a previous video in which this twat waffle charged a man for Twitter harassment even though he simply disagreed with her tactics of doxing a game developer. She is a total hypocrite, she doxed a male game developer, and had the gall to give a TEDx talk about, online harassment against women. Anyhow, this astard weighed in with, I just find it horrific that the patriarchy has been controlling women's flatulence this whole time and we have just realized this now, it is time for feminists worldwide to re-educate women on how they are being discriminated against. Wow, she is truly doing God's work. I can just imagine the eulogy at her funeral. Steph was a prominent feminist. She fought vigorously for a woman's right to fart. She was a suppository of knowledge in this field. Do I hear an amen? And here she goes again with her own harassment campaign. She started a hashtag, fartrape, where women are encouraged to name and shame men guilty of fart rape. She openly said she hopes the guilty men will be identified, and then their workplace identified so that their employer will be notified of the type of person they are harboring in their workplace. Adolf Titler, bellowed that this organized harassment simply isn't enough. Her mantra is don't tell women to fart louder. Tell men not to fart so loud, so there you have it, the leftist ideology of government controlling and regulating everything. And whatever feminists want, daddy government must provide. Perhaps a law on making a male fart above a certain decibel illegal? I can just see the following play out one morning at work, Jacobs, why are you late? Sorry boss, I got caught doing 120 decibels in a 50 zone. Jacobs. Impressive. High five. As usual with any ideology. Whether it be religion or cults like feminism, their stance can be ass-raped by science. Due to sexual dimorphism, men are larger in size, need higher protein intake, and therefore relieve more flatulence. For those who find the word flatulence too academic and refined, please replace it with your choice of 
anal audio, butt burp, grandpa, sphincter song, a turd whistling for the right of way, tailwind, or anal acoustics. I have one challenge for these feminists. Find a woman who doesn't identify herself as a feminist, but who has experienced real rape. Not your mile-wide definition of rape, but actual vaginal penetration by a penis. Once you find this woman, please explain to her how far rape doesn't trivialize real rape. In the meantime, my feminists, go yourself with a cactus. This, this, is, this is something, man. This is, this is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves, because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yep. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales! Yeah, he's in the military now! Wow. Really? Fart rape. By farting louder than a man is using passive-aggressive violence to position himself as dominant. This intimidates a woman to subconsciously not release as much flatulence, and thus the woman fearing for her safety doesn't fart as loud as a sign of submissiveness. This, in turn, contributes to rape culture and women being oppressed. Ashley Engel, C-U-P, later and teacher. Yeah. More liberal insanity, the fart rape. This was actually from February. I never heard of it. In my post, Liberals on the New Nazis, I point out how progressive liberalism has de-evolved into the new Nazism. The main tool of oppression of the Nazi party was the Gestapo. They attacked all perceived enemies of the state, anyone opposing their fascist agenda. The SJWs are the Gestapo, Gestapo of the Liberal Party. The SJW is a person who promotes socially progressive views such as feminine, femi-Nazism, black power, accepting Islam, and giving a finger to white, straight, working-class males. In street riots, mass tweetings of forums, the SJW spew their hate-filled bile. They scream at, threaten to kill, or assault anyone who dares express an opinion they disagree with. Recently, a female Trump supporter was pepper sprayed in the face by SJW. Yet, according to liberals, President Trump is a misogynist. These jackboot thugs in ugly grandma glasses and green hair lecture us about not body shaming, but gleefully mock Trump for his tiny hands and Cheeto dust skin color. SJW smugly believe they are morally superior while shrieking this is a class war and leading mobs to vandalism. At one inauguration riot, SJWs burned the ground a limo burned to the ground a limo the Muslim owner used to make his living with. SJWs justify their tossing urine on Gold Star families and all their domestic terror because they claim to be working to make the world more peaceful and more loving, more equitable place. To quote SJW Laura Penny from Why We're Winning blog, we, SJWs, are more resourceful, more compassionate, more culturally aware. The SJWs believe certain groups like LGBT women, Muslims, and blacks are oppressed. And they are the self-appointed champions fighting for their rights. 
But we have equality in Western society. The time to fight for social justice in America was the 1950s, or any time prior to now would be good. While things are not any time, things are not perfect here. There's a lot better than say anywhere in the Middle East. Pick a country, and who are the oppressors? The focus of the SJW rage: white males, straight white males, are homophobic, racist, misogynist, bigoted, rapists who need to be called. Need, we need to be deballed. According to SJWs, Western women live in a sort of patriarchal hell in need of rescue from sexist rape culture. In order to support these claims of rampant rape across America, SJWs define rape rather loosely. There's stare rape. This is when a man stares a woman against her will, roving his rapey eyeballs across her bosoms and buttocks, violating her. She's wearing a clit skimmer clit skimmer skirt with no panties and a halter top with her booze falling out but a red-blooded hetero male looking at her, he's a skeezy perv. Then there's hilarious fart rape. The term fart rape was coined in 2013 by a lunatic Canadian SJW named Ashley Engel. Fart rape is when men express their dominance over women by farting loudly. The sound of gas blasting from a man's ass creature creates an unsafe environment for women. It reinforces a woman's submissiveness in patriarchal society because women aren't socially allowed to just let one rip. All this male passing a gas contributes to the oppression of women in rape culture. There's even a fart rape hashtag on Twitter. Women are taking control of their bodies and sharing their experience. In a safe space for women to share their experience, being fart raped in public, and out the rapist by posting a photo of him. Note that fart rape is something only a privileged, entitled Western woman to think up. Women in the Middle East and other places are too busy fighting off being actually raped to think about men farting. Yeah. Then there's victims by proxy. SJWs can always find something to be offended by. If they aren't personally offended, they get offended on someone else's behalf. It's patronizing. It's the SJWs telling a certain group they're victims. The group doesn't know they should be offended, but they should be. The SJWs will be offended for them. They're victim by proxy. The photo is of SJW protesting in a museum who is allowing patrons to try on a kimono. The SJW claimed it was a misappropriation of Japanese culture to allow visitors of any old ethnicity to put on a kimono. But isn't this having a multicultural experience? I thought we were supposed to embrace diversity in other cultures and blend seamlessly with them into one gooey melting pot of love, not be hands-off with each other. On the uh, on one hand, liberals want us all to meld together happily. On the other hand, we're not allowed to eat sushi if we're not Japanese. It's schizophrenic insanity. Which led me to... 25 everyday examples of rape culture. Okay. This should be really, really good. I'm going to skim down to the bullshit to get to it. One. A university in Canada allows the following. Student orientation chant. Y is for your sister. O is for oh so tight. U is for underage, N is for no consent, G is for grab that ass. Okay. Pop music that tells women you know you want it because of these blurred lines of consent. Three. A judge who sentenced only 30 days in jail to a 50-year-old man who raped a 14-year-old girl who later committed suicide and defended that the girl was older than her chronological age. 
Four, mothers who blame girls for posting sexy selfies and leading their sons into sin instead of talking with their sons about the responsibility for their own sexual expression. Five, photo memes like this. Somebody took a girl who had a I was raped and made fun of it. Okay. Six, sporting athletes who are charged with rape. Seven, companies that create decals of women bound and gag in order to promote their business. Where the fuck is that at? Eight, people who believe that girls allow themselves to be raped. Nine, journalists who substitute the word sex for rape and if the same thing. Ten, politicians distinguishing legitimate rape and stating that rape is something that God intended to happen. Who the fuck ever said that? One person. Okay. Maybe. Never heard of it. Eleven, calling college students who have the courage to report their rapes liars. Well, there are a lot of liars. We just talked about one in the last podcast. Twelve, the ubiquity of street harassment. How victims are told they're overreacting when they call it out. Thirteen, victims not being taken seriously when they report rapes to university campuses. Fourteen, rape jokes and people who defend them. Fifteen, sexual assault prevention education programs that focus on women being told to make take measures to felt to prevent rape instead of being told not to rape. What? Everybody's told not to rape. These fucking people. 16. The victimization of hospital patients, especially people with mental health issues and elderly, by the very people who are there to protect them. What? 17. Reddit threads with titles like, You just have to make sure she's dead. When linking the story of a 13-year-old girl in Pakistan being raped and buried alive. 18. Reddit threads dedicated to men causing women pain during sex. 19. Twitter hashtags that support act accused rapists and blame victims. 20. Publicly defending celebrities accused of rape. 21. Assuming the false reporting for sexual assault cases are the norm when in reality they're only 2 to 8%. 22. Only 3% of rapists ever served in jail. 23. Women feeling less safe walking the streets at night than men do. 24, 1 in 5 women and 1 in 71 men have reported experience of rape. And 25, the fact that we do not, we have to condition ourselves not to use violent language in everyday conversations. Okay. They ask, can you give us some more? No, I'm not going to give any more. Here's the reality. Saying we have a rape culture when they're just bad people. That's liberal and conservative. Let's be honest, because liberals are saying horrible shit right now. I don't, there's nobody running around saying we need to fix this. They're just bad people. The action of one person isn't everyone. That's what you say for your side. When Alec Baldwin calls a woman a nasty whore and a slut and all that shit, we're not saying that all liberals are that way, are we? But this list that was compiled by some SJW fucking icon, I don't remember her fucking name, Uh, literally those are bad people, those are the actions of a bad person, we don't live in a rape culture, we do tell people not to rape people, it's called the law, you dipshits, how about not doing stuff like this, NARAL debuts abortion theme ice cream flavor, Rocky Roe v. Wade. Oh, isn't that nice? Let's have ice cream in honor of killing babies. 
you like abortion, you like ice cream, then you're in luck. NARAL Pro-Choice Oregon and local Portland ice cream shop, what's the scoop, have teamed up to create an abortion-themed ice cream flavor. For limited time only, Rocky v. Rocky Roe v. Wade ice cream is selling for $9.50 a pint until August. Order yours now and help defend reproductive freedom, reads a tweet from NARAL with a hashtag Sabro. Three additional flavors of ice cream, brown butter almond brittle, vegan chocolate sorbet, and vanilla are also being sold under the hashtag. Half the proceeds of the sales of the four flavors will go to NARAL. Catherine Glenn Foster, President and CEO of America United for Life, believes the disturbing sales campaign has everything to do with concerns over Judge Kavanaugh's upcoming confirmation. Democrats are realizing they won't be able to stop Kavanaugh and pulling stunts like this only further shows their losing hand. Barring some kind of shocking breaking news, Judge Kavanaugh is totally on track to become the next Supreme Court Justice. What's the Scoop has also reportedly been hosting pro-abortion ice cream socials where actual members of NARAL Pro-Choice Oregon are in the parlor scooping the flavors. Jonathan Lockwood, a local Portland-based political consultant, criticized NARAL for the disgusting move in two different medium posts. What have we come to when aborting eight-month pre-born babies and aborting babies because they're little girls is one, acceptable, but worse, two, is celebrated with ice cream. A given phone number and stuff, it's not going to change them, though. It, it doesn't really matter. They're going to do it. This hashtag rise up for row tweet from Planned Parenthood Texas votes in is obnoxious enough, but if you'll indulge us, we've covered the quoted speaker before. Brittany Packnett, a.k.a. Miss Pacchietti, made a name for herself at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement and was even named to President Obama's task force on 21st century policing. So she spent time in the White House. She has us blocked, but when we checked with her last, she was celebrating the cancellation of Roseanne. Brittany Packnett. We got Roseanne canceled. Keep that same energy for the midterms and 2020. Remember that lady? Yeah, it's her. She also took PETA to task in 2016 for teaming up with police to hand out healthy snacks to neighborhood children. We don't need the police to hand us healthy snacks. We need them to stop killing us. Ah. Now she's informing pro-lifers that they're hypocrites. Planned Parenthood, Texas. This term is pro-life is so hypocritical. Y'all care about life as long as the baby's not black, brown, gay, disabled, or Muslim. That was her tweet. The entire world literally had to educate her on the facts. And the facts are, more black babies are killed than white babies at Planned Parenthood. So, do the math on that. Less than 30% of the country is African American, but they make up 70% of the abortions. Maybe it's you who doesn't care about black life. Hamilton Spectator takes us to our next crazy stuff. I see why am I. Are black tire marks on Hamilton Rainbow Crosswalk vandalism? Black tire streaks on Hamilton's new Rainbow Pride Crosswalk in front of City Hall caused some concerns that were deliberately made by a driver spinning tires to vandalize the LGBTQ EIEIO flag symbol. Mayor Fred Eisenberger said there is some debate among staff as to whether their marks were made on purpose or a normal occurrence of rubber wearing off tires on hot pavement. I'm suspicious. 
Just the way the marking sits there, it's odd that it's just before and after the crosswalk and in the crossing. Rob for Jersey says it. Tires are hate speech. Neon Taser. Damn homophobes and their Count Yarrow sticks, deciphers, hexagram, tire marks on the road. I mean, seriously, people. Seriously. Probably be a hate crime now. DNC is all in on this crazy shit because the DNC goes gender neutral, demands equal number of men and women on committee. Oh, wow. DNC has passed a rule during a summer meeting in Chicago, Illinois, that includes gender-neutral language in an effort to be more inclusive to the LGBT movement. In addition, all committees must have an equal representation of men and women. The rules, according to CNN, now say that DNC committees shall be as equally divided as practicable between men and women determined by gender self-identification, meaning that the variation between men and women in the group cannot exceed one. At the root of our diverse party is a commitment to inclusion and opportunity, Perez said. By adopting this amendment, the DNC is ensuring every Democrat feels welcome and embrace who they are. This action reaffirms our solidarity with the LGBTQ movement. The article then goes on to ask, when will the DNC start instituting race, sexuality, disability, career, religious, class, etc. quotas? How can you have this gender neutrality but demand equal genders on a committee? If you're gender neutral, that means it doesn't matter anymore, does it? Do you see the circular logic Excel spreadsheet freakism of the left? That makes no goddamn sense. If you went straight gender neutral, it shouldn't matter who sits on your committee because you're all the same sex now. You're an X, remember? X. It's an X. North Carolina mom in disbelief after son 10 punished for calling a teacher ma'am. It was a feminist and she did not like it and she lost her fucking mind and the student was reprimanded for it. School called it a personal matter and they don't want to get involved, but man. Wow. The mother's post... Facebook, what is the definition of ma'am? My child was punished for addressing his teacher as ma'am. Miss Williams, fifth grade teacher of Northeast Carolina Preparatory School, made my child do write-offs, ma'am, and told him if she had some to throw, she would because he kept calling her ma'am. We had a meeting today with her and the principal for her to say she will not answer him if she continues to be, call her ma'am and that she didn't say she would throw something at him. I can't say what won't, what won't said and ever have never seen anything like this before. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but that's what she wrote. With everything going on in the world, when did it become an issue for a child to respect his elders? Hmm. The mother said, fuck the teacher. I'm going to have my son keep calling her man. This is the crazy feminist shit. Respect. You want no rape culture, and then you have a man call you, or a male call you a ma'am, and you get offended. Okay. Usually gentlemen don't rape women. That's kind of what you want, but okay. A Marine is suing daughter's school after finding out they forced her to study Islam. A Maryland public school, La Platte High, is being sued for forcing children to learn about Islam in the Muslim ways. The Marine Dan, John Kevin Wood, and his wife were furious, furious when they found out about an Islam lesson. This isn't the first school we've heard about doing this Islam. is suddenly being pushed on our next generation. 
For example, one of the assignments wrote that the Islamic creed of Shahada, which means there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. The Woods are upset that their daughter was force-fed this knowledge about the religion that is foreign to them. According to the Washington Free Beacon, when non-Muslims recite this phrase out loud, they are essentially converting to Islam. But the Lapat High School forced their students to do more than just recite the Islamic creed. They forced students to memorize the five pillars of Islam. If they teach Islam, be sure to include out females or second-rate citizens, the father said. How in some Muslim countries they cannot drive, show their face in public, or they will, will shame their family. The Sharia law exists, shall I go on? Educate yourself. You will teach our children about the Crusades, but say nothing about what happened right in your face. Don't preach that we have 2,000 religions in our country and then be ignorant to the fact that there are only one religion is using the courts to have their theirs forced upon us. Be offended. I am. What happened to my rights and why is it so offensive to them, but somehow I am accepting of theirs? One God, Muhammad, is but a prophet. They teach Islam, but sure to include how females are second-rate citizens, and it's repeating itself. The fact of the matter is... It's probably a rogue teacher doing it, or it's a bunch of liberals saying, well, the kids know about Islam, they won't believe the press that Islam's going around killing people. Okay. But that's not the craziest. The craziest is this. An organization is pulling sponsorship of NASCAR driver over an insensitive remark. The remark was poorly done by his dad 30 years ago when he wasn't alive. Lily Diabetes is supposed to sponsor Connor Daly's number six car NASCAR Xfinity race at Road America, citing a racially insensitive remark by, by, by the driver's father in the 80s. In a statement, Daly said he admitted to using a racial slur for an African American during a radio interview in the 80s. Daly, who had just moved to the United States then, said the term had a different meaning and connotation in Ireland. Daly said he was mortified when he learned how the term was used in the United States and never used it since. Caller Daly, 26, wasn't even born when it happened. Deb, unapologetic plastic straw user. Great title. I'll take liberty, liberal insanity for 1,000, Alex. <laughs> it is like a game show. Instructor tries to quarantine gun owners in the back of the class. A teacher assistant at the University of Utah tried to create a Second Amendment zone in a classroom, forcing students who legally carry to stand in a tiny taped-off area with no desk during class. A concerned student brought the matter to Utah State Representative, who then publicized the issue, prompting university officials to overrule the instructor and reassign them to non-teaching duties for the rest of the semester. see what she said you feel that it's somehow at all appropriate to bring a gun to class you're restricted to spending your time in a class in my second amendment zone concealed carry is protected under your second amendment rights however because the university of utah reserves the right to restrict elements of the first amendment on campus to specifically sanctioned free speech zone zones i'm reserving the right to restrict elements of the second amendment they probably have protest zones, and she doesn't like that. Okay. Yeah, okay. Professor wants police to treat alt-right groups as street gangs. True criminology professors recently wrote an article suggesting that police should treat alt-right groups as conventional street gangs in order to prevent political violence. While they vaguely allude to skirmishes with counter-protesters at various alt-right events, they do not specifically say Antifa groups engage in political nonviolence at each of the events they mentioned. Yeah. 
There's a lot of that. Because here's another one. Antifa pamphlet dubs conservative students fascist. Pamphlets distributed by Antifa group at Texas State University included conservative student groups in a list of fascist organizations, even equating them to white supremacists. The chairman of the Young Conservatives of Texas, one of the groups targeted by the pamphlet, called the allegations a blatant lie, noting that white supremacy go against our core values. Yep. That's allowed, though. Let a white group say anything about any other group or let them put a flyer Antifa as a terrorist organization. It'll be stricken off the campus. Professor gets 248000 grant to study gender microaggressions. It's Iowa State University. Wow. CU Boulder offers class on whiteness studies. Whiteness studies offered through the sociology department and previous offerings have reached their maximum classroom capacity of 50 students. In this class, they'll learn that white people are bad and they all need to die. Yeah, that's good. We need more classes like that. In our Water is Wet segment, YDSA urges socialists to infiltrate public education. The Young Democratic Socialists of America are encouraging socialists to become teachers in order to exploit the political, economic, and social potential the industry holds. The pamphlet argues that education is a strategic sector for socialists to infiltrate because it's already heavily unionized and also offers a platform to engage entire families in campaigns for socialist policies. I say it's the water is wet because it's already there. I mean, my son went to little old fucking Austin, APSU, Austin P. Every one of his fucking teachers was a goddamn socialist. Corey Robin, professor of political science at Brooklyn College, has an op-ed featured in the New York Times in which he argues in favor of taking a journey to socialist utopia because freedom or something. Corey Robin. The New York Times asked me to write a piece on what socialism means. My answer, the socialist argument against capitalism isn't that it makes us poor, it's that it makes us unfree. The socialist argument against capitalism is that it makes us poor, it's that it makes us unfree. When my well-being depends upon your whim, when the basic needs of life compel submission to the market and subjugation at work, we live not in freedom, but in domination. Socialists want to end that domination to establish freedom from rules by the boss, from the need to smile for the sake of sale, from the obligation to sell for the sake of survival. Yeah. Does anybody ever counter these people with how many people have died under socialist reigns? No, probably not. I hereby resign from my f- my race. Fuck these people. White professor writes online, sparking furor. A white professor at Rutgers University in New Jersey violated the school's policy when he complained about other white people in a post on Facebook, according to the report. The university says it prohibits discrimination and harassment and judged that history professor James Livingston, who is white, crossed a line with his comments in the post Livingston slammed other white people, describing them as entitled and saying they impede access to my dinner. We covered this a couple weeks ago or months ago. So I wanted to see, you know, what happened, and they fired him. And that's fucking fan-fucking-tastic! 
good for them. This is a great one because it goes on this LGBT craziness that we talk about all the time. And it shows really what the LGBT mafia is all about. They, they're, not, they're, they're no different than Black Lives Matter. They're no different than any other group. It's not about equality. It's about a supremacy. They want to get rid of everybody who's not like them. That's why they're fascist. That's why they're just like white supremacists. Because new gender queer Romeo and Juliet set after society has exterminated cisgendered men. Oh, isn't that sweet? On Tuesday, Out Magazine cheered an upcoming queer gender adaptation of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet set after society has exterminated cisgender men. Set in the not-too-distant future, R&J takes place 50 years after society has exterminated men, reads a tweet from the magazine. The progressive play set to premiere off-Broadway in the fall and directed by Molly Houlihan strips the classic of its heteronormative structure, the magazine reports. The diverse cast includes six females and gender non-conforming actors, as well as a fully female and gender non-conforming crew. As the government still relies on martial law to keep the faction in check, two young heirs unexpectedly fall in love. One is from the Montagues, the militaristic warmonger responsible for the purge of society's men. The other is the Capulets, controllers of information and the media, fighting to regain independence from the sovereign state. Out explains this queer gender version of the play. The magazine says explores mainstream feminism, patriarchal structure, and society's struggle to rebuild in their wake. Yeah. Some of these off-Broadways are just fucking horrible and you couldn't do it the other way. That all gays or you couldn't do the whole fucking um, handmaid's tale but gayness is a crime. Like it is in the Middle East. Sorry. Had to get a drink. The Atlantic Many English speakers are cutting guys from their vocabulary. Whole article, once again, about, hey guys, you guys. Hey guys, what's up guys? The left is just fucking insane about using guys. I guess it's not inclusive. I don't know, it's just fucking weird. Snowfake, snowflake mentality hits local politics as Dem committee man sues over GOP colleague name calling and insults. New Jersey committee man is suing his township because a colleague allegedly insulted him and called him names during township meetings, including Baldy Locks and saying he has bad breath. So he's going to sue the city because that's just horrible. Hmm. Wow. The new politics of Hollywood sex scenes in the Me Too era. <clears throat> Large article, I'll surmise it. They're freaked out to do any sex scenes. So you're not going to see a whole lot of boobs. You'll see a lot of cock and balls and male ads, asses, because nobody gives a fuck about that. But the whole boob thing is big. They're afraid to do these scenes. And there's a 10,000 lawyers involved to even set the scenes up because they're all afraid of lawsuits. Wow. Woman seeking rich rich boyfriend sues dating app 
for not giving her enough matches. This is in Britain, and the lady didn't get enough decent matches, so she's suing them for wrongful fucking or uh, false advertisement. Yeah. Maybe it's you. And other than SJW News, NASA's X-37B aircraft is currently on its latest trip called the Orbital Test Vehicle, and people got pictures of it re-entry. Can't really see anything. It's just a streak, but there's so much secrecy about this vehicle. I'm just kind of wondering what it's going to end up being. Um, it looks like a mini shuttle, but it's supposed to have... It can enter and re-exit, but it's just smaller. I don't know where it's going to go. Racetrack with moving grandstand proposed in New Mexico. Pretty neat looking concept. As the tr- It's not a NASCAR. It's a actual horse track. And you will see the whole horse. You'll just go with it. It's like a capsule on a rail. And it moves with the horses. Oh, I think it's going to be the best thing ever, but cool. Anesthesia. Anesthesiast. Kills wife and daughter with gas-filled yoga ball, court hears. Ka Kim's son from Hong Kong <clears throat> loaded it, gave it to his family, and killed him. Because he found another girl. Yeah. Wow. Like, you weren't going to get caught, dude. You're an anesthesiast. And last but not least, caught on video... Pod of heroic dolphins are filmed defending a humpback mother named Spirit and her calf Sunny from five male whales. Whale watchers left astound after dolphin intervene in mating comp- competition. A humpback whale and her calf were chased by five male whales off Washington coast. Bottleneck dolphins surrounded the female humpback to protect them. One of the male humpbacks then began to act as an escort for the other mother and her calf and chase the smaller males away. This has never been seen in the wild. Dolphins just came across it and they said, girl power. So that's pretty fucking cool. Somewhere on a liberal podcast, they're saying, why can't we be more like dolphins? So we'll go to a music break. And our music break today... Uh, let's see, what are we going to do for our atmospheric? Let's go with, um, ooh, I, I kind of like this. We're going to go with Full Metal Jacket, the speech from the front. That'll be our music atmospheric break. We'll listen to Gunnery Sergeant Hartman skin that ass up. And then we'll go into Fire for Effect, since we're doing it all backwards. I am Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, your senior drill instructor. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to. And the first and last words out of your filthy sewers will be, sir. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sound off like you got a pair. Sir, yes, sir. If you ladies leave my island, if you survive recruit training, you will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. But until that day, You are pukes. You are the lowest form of life on earth. You are not even human fucking beings. You are nothing but unorganized, grabastic pieces of amphibian shit. Because I am hard, you will not like me. But the more you hate me, the more you will learn. I am hard, but I am fair. There is no racial bigotry here. I do not look down on niggers, kites, wops, or greasers. Here you are all equally worthless. 
And my orders are to weed out all non-hackers who do not pack the gear to serve in my beloved corps. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sir, yes, sir. What's your name, scumbag? Sir, Private Brown, sir. Bullshit, from now on you're Private Snowball. Do you like that name? Sir, yes, sir. Well, there's one thing that you won't like, Private Snowball. They don't serve fried chicken and watermelon on a daily basis in my mess hall. Sir, yes, sir. Is that you, John Wayne? Is this me? Who said that? Who the fuck said that? Who's the slimy little communist shit twinkle toad cocksucker down here who just signed his own death warrant? Nobody, huh? The very fucking godmother said it. I'm fucking standing. I will PT you all until you fucking die. I'll PT you until your assholes are sucking buttermilk. Was it you, you scroungy little fuck? Huh? Sir, no, sir. You little piece of shit, you look like a fucking worm. I bet it was you. Sir, no, sir. Sir, I said it, sir. Well, no shit. What have we got here? A fucking comedian, private joker. I admire your honesty. Hell, I like you. You can come over to my house and fuck my sister. You little scumbag. I got your name. I got your ass. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Now get up. Get on your feet. You had best unfuck yourself or I will unscrew your head and check down your neck. Sir, yes, sir. Private Joker, why did you join my beloved corps? Sir, to kill, sir. So you're a killer. Sir, yes, sir. Let me see your war face. Sir. You got a war face? Ah! That's a war face. Now let me see your war face. Ah! Bullshit. You didn't convince me. Let me see your real war face. Ah! You don't scare me. Work on it. Sir, yes, sir. What's your excuse? Sir, excuse for what, sir? I'm asking the fucking questions here, Private. Do you understand? Sir, yes, sir. Well, thank you very much. Can I be in charge for a while? Sir, yes, sir. Are you shook up? Are you nervous? Sir, I am, sir. Do I make you nervous? Sir. Sir, what? Are you about to call me an asshole? Sir, no, sir. How tall are you, Private? Sir, five foot nine, sir. Five foot nine. I didn't know they stacked shit that high. You trying to squeeze an inch in on me somewhere, huh? Sir, no, sir. Bullshit. It looks to me like the best part of you ran down to cracking your mama's ass and ended up as a brown stain on the mattress. I think you've been cheated. Where in hell are you from anyway, Private? Sir, Texas, sir. Holy dog shit. Texas only steers and queers come from Texas, Private Cowboy. And you don't much look like a steer to me, so that kind of narrows it down. Do you suck dicks? Sir, no, sir. Are you a Peter Pupper? Sir, no, sir. I bet you're the kind of guy that would fuck a person in the ass and not even have the goddamn common courtesy to give him a reach around. I'll be watching you. Did your parents have any children that live? Sir, yes, sir. I bet they regret that. You're so ugly you could be a modern art masterpiece. What's your name, fat body? Sir, Leonard Lawrence, sir. Lawrence, Lawrence, what, of Arabia? Sir, no, sir. That name sounds like royalty. Are you royalty? Sir, no, sir. Do you suck dicks? Sir, no, sir. Bullshit, I'll bet you could suck a golf ball through a garden hose. Sir, no, sir. I don't like the name Lawrence. Only faggots and sailors are called Lawrence. From now on, you're Gomer Pyle. Sir, yes, sir. Do you think I'm cute, Private Pyle? Do you think I'm funny? Sir, no, sir. Then wipe that disgusting grin off your face. Sir, yes, sir. Well, any fucking time, sweetheart. Sir, I'm trying, sir. Private Pyle, I'm going to give you three seconds. 
exactly three fucking seconds to wipe that stupid-looking grin off your face, or I will gouge out your eyeballs and skull-fuck you! One, two, three! So I can't help it, sir. shit! Get on your knees, scumbag! Now choke yourself! God damn it, with my hand, I'm nuts! Don't pull my fucking hand over there. I said choke yourself. Now lean forward and choke yourself. Are you through grinning? Sorry, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sorry, yes, sir. Bullshit, I still can't hear you. Sound off like you've got a pair. Sir, yes, sir. That's enough. Get on your feet. Private Pile, you had best square your ass away and start shitting me Tiffany Cufflinks, or I will definitely fuck you up. Sir, yes, sir. Help, 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 Paris Island, South Carolina, the United States Marine Corps Recruit Depot, an eight-week college for the phony tough and the crazy brave. Mama and Papa were laying in bed. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. I wonder if these sympathizers would be as full-throated about these tragedies if the killers were white citizens, if the victims were not young white women. If that were the case, would we see a video like this from Trump today? Their two teenage daughters, Kayla Cuevas and Nisa Mickens, were close friends on Long Island. These two precious girls were brutally murdered while walking together in their hometown. Six members of the Savage MS-13 gang have been charged with Kayla and Nisa's murders. Everyone in America is grieving for you. I want you to know that 320 million hearts are right now breaking for you. We love you. Thank you. Very, very sad, touching moment tonight. The president taking time to recognize family members of two girls 
brutally murdered by the gang MS-13. Breaking tonight as the Indianapolis Colts reel over the shocking and sudden death of their linebacker, Edwin Jackson. New details are coming out tonight about the man who killed him in a horrific crash on Interstate 70 in Indianapolis. The driver of the truck, Manuel Orego Savala, was in the United States illegally. According to the reports, he had actually been deported, kicked out twice, and found his way back in. President Trump says the death of a professional football player, allegedly at the hands of an illegal immigrant driving while drunk, is a disgrace. The president calls the killing of Indianapolis Colts linebacker Edwin Jackson one of many such preventable tragedies. He tweets, we must get the Democrats to get tough on the border and with illegal immigration fast. The suspect in the deaths of Jackson and one other man has been deported twice. The man accused of beating a 17-year-old girl to death in a road rage incident should have never been here to begin with. ICE telling the Daily Caller, Darwin Torres is a citizen of El Salvador and in the U.S. illegally. Police in Virginia say he beat Nabra Hassanen, who is Muslim, with a metal bat after an argument, then dumped her body in a nearby lake. A 17-year-old Muslim girl, Nabra Hassanen, was leaving an IHOP in Virginia with her friends. It was Ramadan. She was confronted by a motorist who jumped out of his car and started swinging a baseball bat at the group of teens, killing Hassanan. Later that day, police arrested 22-year-old Darwin Torres and charged him with her murder. An incredibly moving moment last night at the State of the Union. President Trump consoling the parents of two teenage girls. Now, police say that Nisa Mickens and Kayla Cuevas were chased down and brutally murdered by MS-13 gang members in Long Island in New York in 2016. Three of the four people charged with the murders are illegal immigrants. President Trump honored Nissa and Kayla last night by inviting their parents to the speech. We reached out to Nissa's parents, Elizabeth Alvarado and Robert Mickens, and both are kind enough to join us. Uh, I want to ask you both, uh, what it felt like to find out that so many uh, people in the room, uh, they're mostly Democrats, did not stand up when you were recognized and when your daughter was recognized uh, last night. Well, I felt it was uh, very disrespectful. My heart breaks for you to, to have read what they did to her. Uh, but they beat both girls with a baseball bat, and police who found them said they had not ever seen such brutality. They'd never, they'd seen a lot in Long Island, never seen anything like it. MS-13 members accused of slaughtering two teen girls laugh in front of the victims' families in court. The Justice Department will decide whether prosecutors can seek the death penalty for the 2016 murders of 16-year-old Kayla Cuevas and 15-year-old Nisa Mickens, the best friends murdered walking home from school in Long Island. President Trump honored their parents during his State of the Union address. Kayla's parents joined us on Fox & Friends in July with this emotional plea. We shouldn't be tolerating this type of behavior at all whatsoever. I mean, you know, he's a kid's, kids kidding, you know, kids. That shouldn't be tolerated at all. Or this case in Loudoun County, Virginia, where a reported MS-13 gang member beat a Muslim girl to death with a baseball bat. That was according to the Daily News. The suspect charged with murdering a 17-year-old Muslim girl during Ramadan was accused of sexually assaulting another 
woman uh, a week before the teen slaying in Virginia and is reportedly an MS-13 gang member. Rob Mickens' daughter was murdered by MS-13. Met with the president today. He joins us tonight. Rob, thank you for coming on tonight. A Colts linebacker, Edwin Jackson, killed in a crash the morning of the Super Bowl. Now we find out, according to Indiana State Police, who that person that killed him was, a Guatemalan citizen, twice deported from our country for being here illegally. NFL player Edwin Jackson of the Indianapolis Colts appears to be the most high-profile recent victim of crime by someone here illegally. And this past Sunday, many of you have heard Indiana Colts linebacker Edwin Jackson and his Uber driver were killed by an illegal, intoxicated alien. I wonder if these sympathizers would be as full-throated about these tragedies if the killers were white citizens if the victims were not young white women. There was wall-to-wall coverage about a, a, a missing woman in Iowa until she was found, and God rest her soul. And then you, this, this, you don't God even have the soul. decency. You're not letting her soul rest. Oh, yes, you're I waving am. her like a flag. No, I would never. We're hijacking her How grief. How dare you? If you're not with us about immigrants, then you don't care about Molly Tibbetts. How dare you? No, and how, how dare, dare the you president you do that? Just like Kate about. Steinle. So yeah, if you a, don't want to abuse immigrants the way the president does, if you don't want to assume they're all murders the way the president wants people to believe, then you don't care about Kate Steinle and Molly Tibbetts. He's never said that, but you don't care about the ones who have been. Been murdered to say this is how it happened. This is how we can all over seventeen thousand murders in this country in 2016. How many times has he stood up and said this is an atrocity? What happened? Many times. Only when the people who kill them That's are someone true. that he wants to talk. That's not true. But Come what on. happened to the Democrats? Come CNN on. covered 55 minutes of a live meeting in the cabinet room in late January, where he was flanked by Democrats and Republicans from the House and the Senate to talk about. DACA, the Dreamers. Where did they go? Why aren't they there? Why would they? Th- why would the Democrats they talk brought about immigration? Deal. Schumer told no, me, wrong. and he denied it. Why, when they talk about immigration, the Christopher, do they only think of the Dreamers? Why? There's the truth. Why oh, don't they go. respect here ICE we go. and custody? Do you really want ICE to be abolished? Farmers in South Africa, the no, real racism problem. Abolished? Yes or no? Do you think that's a good idea to have immigration? It's not my job to make policy decisions. It is my job to test them. And I'll tell you what I think is wrong. Saying that you care about Molly Tibbetts and they calling her child permanently separated from her family. They Is that how you describe someone when they're I murdered? just said God rest her soul and I didn't say her name. He said she was permanently separated from her family. Is that the time to play ugly politics because he's upset about what he happened with him putting grief? kids in cages? Well, why can't permanently you say separated? What, why can't you say what happened? Why can't we you say, say there it. are I did two segments on it yesterday. Of course there are cracks in the no, system. The of course her murder, but for that man being here illegally. Do you think we should get a vote on Kate's law? Do you think the grief of Laura... I think that you should do whatever you can to stop illegal immigration, but you don't have to treat the immigrants like... Politicizing, huh? Maybe like this? Taking the politics out of it and examining what we really mean in this society about who should be able to have a weapon that can kill multiple people in an instance. Is this what our forefathers wanted? Is this what you want as parents, as friends, aunts, uncles, cousins?
loved ones? Is this what you really, really yeah, want? David, but for President Trump, there's been a theme in many of his remarks. After that church shooting in Texas, President Trump said it would be a little too soon to talk about gun laws. After the massacre in Las Vegas, he said, we'll be talking, quote, we will talk about gun laws as time goes on. David, there has not been a, a very serious public policy conversation about gun control here at this administration in this White House. The president, we will see if this is the one that forces that policy conversation. Uh, this according to Bill Bratton, the former NYPD commissioner, is yet another example of how this country seems to have this sick preoccupation uh, with guns, and it manifests itself into these really terrible mass shootings. This country is not serious about understanding where we fall short of international standards. In this case, we're going to say we're an exceptional country. If you look at other peer countries in places like Japan or Western Europe, they do not have the incidence of violence against children that we have in this country. We, we I read a stat tonight. There have been 18 school shootings elsewhere in the world over the last two decades. In our country alone, there have been 18 school shootings in the last 35 days. And do you believe lawmakers failed you in that moment? Do you believe we can do better than this? Go a little bit bigger picture here for me. 18th school shooting this year. I, I keep saying that because it's only the middle of February. Right? We are the scourge of the world when it comes to these. Nobody is worse than we are. How does that not make the MAGA agenda? It seems the question to ask Marco Rubio and Rick Scott is, is there anything Florida could possibly do to make it any easier for a mass murderer to get an AR-15. So much about American exceptionalism is wonderful. How different we are from the rest of the world is wonderful. The country of opportunity and true freedom. And this part of the American exceptional story isn't so easy to sell. I have ten nieces and nephews. We're talking about bump stocks. We're talking about legislation. A child of God is dead. Cannot we acknowledge in this country that we can't, we cannot accept this? I can't do it, Wolf. I'm sorry. We can't do it. Yeah. Oops. Media's been total garbage. Chris Pronto takes it to him. Wow, MSNBC, just a girl in Iowa. Is that no big deal to the leftist nutballs because it was black professor talking down about the brutal, brutally murdered white victim? Y'all at MSC are disgusting. Excuses for humans, let alone journalists. Let's see, right before the 2012 election, Barack Obama lied about AQI being on the run, was backing the Muslim Brotherhood and ME region, and helped manufacture Benghazi video attack lie because IQI was on the run. Where were you? You didn't care. My murder teammates, an ambassador, and he goes on, and they, they don't care, Chris. They don't. They'll never care. They just don't care. You're white. So when you die, who gives a shit? I mean... They're so focused on trying to get divisive race in this country. This was on their network this week. Republicans want to be talking about either. The, and Erica, you know this really well, and I want to talk about this a bit more because when you look at some of the polling numbers, 56% of Americans are against arming school teachers. But I want to talk about what DeVos 
Secretary DeVos has been doing? Because sometimes that does fly under the radar, right? A segment we do here on the show. She, for example, has lifted regulatory scrutiny of predatory for-profit colleges. You've reported she's begun dismissing civil rights cases in the name of efficiency. She's proposing rules that would cut student loan relief by an estimated $13 billion. And Axios claims that the Education Department is ignoring mistreatment of transgender students. Where is our federal education system going uh, under Secretary DeVos and the Trump administration? You mean, Sherika? I mean, I think that the one thing that's very interesting is that Secretary DeVos was someone who was very controversial when she was coming in. Mm -hmm. She's someone who had a very opinionated view of how the federal education system should be run and now she's carrying this out in a very quiet way. She's doing, much like Jeff Sessions, they're doing what they said they were going to be doing and there are some people that I've talked to, some advocates who are very worried about the impacts that this will have. Mm. You look at Erica's reporting, if you start arming teachers and you look at the statistics and say that there are black and brown students who are being um, who, who are being who are being disciplined more than their white counterparts, you could then start seeing statistics where potentially black students are getting shot or in accidents when their teachers are trying to shoot or trying to do gun safety measures. So there's this idea that the NAACP and other advocacy groups say not only are we looking at this as an issue issue, but it's also the idea that racially this could be a problem. Erica. Yeah, that's it. They're going to go chase down and kill black kids. Just the black kids. Because that's, that's what America is. Gee, many crickets. But NBC waves goodbye to Molly Tibbetts. Only CBS gives full update. New details released today in the murder of Molly Tibbetts, 20-year-old Iowa college student's body found, blah, 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 blah. They covered it briefly because they don't care. Because they were all stuck on the same thing. The, the politicization of this was so horrible. They just couldn't handle that conservatives or a conservative president would do the exact same thing Obama did all the time. Oliver Dorsey or Darcy was all over this. Also striking given how mass shooting Republican lawmakers after thoughts and prayers but cautioned against politicizing the tragedy. Which you still politicize every fucking time. There was a shooting yesterday. I don't know what the latest line is. It was at a gaming convention. I'm sure it was a white supremacist or something. But he went on the air, as a lot of them did. And instead of talking about how an illegal immigrant who shouldn't even been here, who illegally I-9 verified that a fucking employer knew about it and it was all okie-dokie and shouldn't be in the country, killed yet another... American. No, it's your politicizing. During the five-week search for Molly Tibbetts, her accused killer, Christian Bahana Rivera, reported to work every day at this dairy farm, acting normally. That's according to this co-worker, who asked us to conceal her identity. Someone who would have done something like this would be nervous and not able to eat, she said. He seemed like nothing was wrong. Do you think he did this? ¿Usted cree que lo hizo? No, yo creo que no. You want to believe that it wasn't him. What do you think of the fact the president is accusing undocumented people in this? And joining me right now, CNN senior media reporter Oliver Darcy, a former politics editor for Business Insider. Good to see you, Oliver. So is this message, you know, that many Republicans are pushing resonating or is there pushback uh, like from what we heard from, you know, one of Molly's own family members? Don't well, her name. 
uh, in a politicized way. Mm. It's, it's really actually quite striking that Republicans and conservatives are using her death to um, push political agenda, particularly because after mass shootings and uh, other events, you see Republicans say, you know, now is not the time to talk about politics. Let's offer thoughts and prayers, but not politics. Let's not use someone's death to push policy. And in this case, you see it right after the murder comes out, and we find out that the uh, immigration status of this, of this uh, alleged killer mm -hmm. is uh, undocumented. You see Fox News programs and, and hosts pushing immigration policy. You see the White House pushing immigration policy. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, her family is saying, hey, we don't want her to get lost in politics. But that and hasn't kind ended of pushed it. Out against it. And that's what's striking. That hasn't mm -hmm. ended it, even if the family has said. And I guess one thing, um, with permission, mm -hmm. you know, if, if it were being used, um, you know, in a politicized way, it comes with the permission of the family. But we're not seeing that sequence at all. No, we're not. Uh, but, you know, this is normal, I think, for um, particularly this president in this White House. You saw the president when he launched his campaign speech, right? He gave a, a that talked about um, people coming into this country, and he, he characterized undocumented immigrants as bringing crime, bringing drugs. Um, he says they're rapists, they're criminals, and then some are good people. Um, and so this is not surprising that he, they're seizing on this murder from someone who was here illegally, but they're seizing on it to push this immigration policy. And look, it, it works amongst Trump's base. It, it really excites the base. And I think because of that, mm. uh, fortunately, you're going to see him use this uh, in the future, use murderers like Kate Steinle and, and, and this recent one to uh, advance his agenda on immigration. Right. Well, we saw it with Kate Steinle back in 2015. So it really is kind of a continuation of a method in which the, the president, you know, has taken. So, you know, a GOP Senate candidate, Nona, you know, went a step further in politicizing, uh, you know, of, of Molly Tibbetts case, actually saying Arizona's two Republican senators and her political opponent were partially to blame for the tragedy. You know, Dr. Kelly uh, Ward actually tweeting this on Tuesday, put it up, the lack of leadership and courage by open border senators like Jeff Flake, Senator John McCain, and, uh, you know, and hashtag amnesty advocate Martha Valley contribute to these senseless Deaths. So, I mean, there's a lot there, particularly mm -hmm. at a time now, days later, that was Tuesday, but, you know, knowing John McCain's situation, uh, you know, and, and his very, very tender time as he fights a terminal, you know, brain cancer. Uh, I mean, is, does this just exemplify that, you know, there, there really are no off areas as long as you're campaigning? I think what Trump's really done to the Republican Party is he's really radicalized a wing of it. And you see that with Kelly Ward, who's someone who's very far right, uh, is very closely aligned with, uh, for instance, Breitbart, which was chaired formerly by Steve Bannon. And, and you see them use this really heated rhetoric and things like immigration. They know this excites the base. And so the rhetoric's out of control on it. That's really the bottom line. Uh, it's just really striking to see Republicans seize on someone's death, someone's murder, and push policies when... Again, for so long, they were saying things like, don't politicize deaths. That's not the time to talk about tragedy. And right now, after tragedy mm -hmm. strikes and it happens mm -hmm. to work in their favor, you see them doing it. Mm -hmm. All right. Good points. Uh, Oliver Darcy. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. It's just politics now. It's just politics. But didn't Obama say, well, I, I remember. Let's go back in the way back machine. States with the most gun laws tend to have the fewest gun deaths. So the notion that gun laws don't work or just will make it 
uh, harder for law-abiding citizens and criminals will still get their guns. It's not borne out by the evidence. We know that other countries, in response to one mass shooting, have been able to craft laws that almost eliminate mass shootings. Friends of ours, allies of ours, Great Britain, Australia, countries like ours. So we know there are ways to prevent it. And of course, what's also routine is that somebody somewhere will comment and say, Obama politicized this issue. Well, this is something we should politicize. It is relevant to our common life together, to the body politic. I would ask news organizations, because I won't put these facts forward, have news organizations tally up the number of Americans who've been killed through terrorist attacks over the last decade and the number of Americans who've been killed by gun violence. And post those side by side on your news reports. This won't be information coming from me. It will be coming. Never let a crisis go to waste. That was their motto for eight years. They politicized everything. This isn't politicization. This is stating factual evidence. Why is he in the country? Why do liberals think it's okay for murderers and rapists, real ones from Mexico, to come here? And then when they're caught, ICE is a bunch of Gestapos, you're horrible. I mean, we just went through it with the fucking baby one. I mean, people, seriously, it's not politicizing, it's stating the facts. Educated hillbillies. So is he the same piece of garbage you seem to think Republicans are? You seem to be very one-sided on this. It's amazing to see the press so be so blatant, and that's coming from me of all people. Your network had children on national television calling CNN political opponents child murderers before the Parkland vid- victims' bodies were even cold. Cold! Your network hosted a town hall so Democrat politicians could use the murder of children to deflect political blame and blame their failures on Republican Senator and gun rights. Key differences in all this. Breaking immigration law isn't constitutionally protected like owning a firearm. R's hold individuals responsible. D's hold ob- objects responsible. D's want more gun control. Wouldn't have prevented crime. R's want immigration law, which would prevent the crime. James Woods brought up a Twitter thread that is just sad. Molly Tibbetts, Kate Steinel, Steinel, Tessa Tranchant, Dominic Durden, Grant Ronnerbeck, Jamika Williams, Kevin Will, Nebra, ne, Nebra, Nabra Hassanen, Jamil Shaw, Jose Chavez, Lauren Bumps, Sarah Root, Edwin Jackson. None of their killers, killers should ever been in the country. From Fox. Kate Stiles' name has been painful enough. We know of her because she was killed by a criminal illegal alien in 2015. We now know Molly Tibbetts' name murdered last month and an illegal alien has been arrested for that crime. For many who do not originally support Donald Trump for president, a turning point for us was the existential danger of our open southern border. In Trump, it became clear we had a candidate who understood and was serious about dealing with the disaster of our border. Being blunt about the criminal and enjoying the open door in our nation, liberals in the establishment gave us our first taste of the hysteria about Trump 
that would come to consume them. And then in July 2015, Steinle was shot to death by a criminal illegal alien who had been put back on the street through San Francisco's sanctuary policy. If they had just turned Kate's killer over to ICE when they wanted him, she would be alive today. A San Francisco jury inexplicably found him not guilty of both murder and manslaughter. They did find him guilty of a lesser charge of a felon in possession of a gun. But that's just the short list. Marilyn Ferris, just recently, this week, Houston officer Kevin Will was struck and killed by an intoxicated illegal alien who was investigating a hit and run the freeway at the time of his death. Anna Cerna. Let's not forget the beautiful couple and former Marine vet the driver fled back to Mexico. Derek Snell. Everyone please add the names of this fallen if you know them. Sarah Root. The left doesn't care. Just this week, an illegal was arrested. He's part of a workers' union. The DNC rep, this is what he had to say. Resolution number five, resolution opposing the cruel immigration policies of the Trump administration. Is there a motion to adopt? Is there a second? I'd like to use this opportunity to tell you what happened in my own union just a few weeks ago. My union represents workers in a meat packing plant in Salem, Ohio. One day, our members went to work processing bacon as they do every day, and I showed up with semi-automatic weapons, with guns, pointed in people's faces with a helicopter hovering overhead and 146 people were detained. 80 of them are still in detention. Some of them were detained for the crime of not bringing their papers to work that day. They were sent away and it took quite some time to get them back and it was because they didn't bring their um, their documentation to work. That is not what I want to see America be like. Families were separated. Children were left alone. The um, and ICE was so proud of what they did that they posted on their own website video of their agents loading their weapons before they went into the plane. And so it's, this is the resolution I support wholeheartedly. Protecting illegals is so ingrained in the Democratic Party, it's just like abortion. It's just who they are. That's why they don't track it. That's why there is no classification for illegal drunken drivers and all that stuff. Only states like Arizona and actually and Texas track it. California doesn't track it. And we don't know about all the other murders. I remember playing last year off John Gibson's uh, uh, radio show, an African-American man whose son got shot down the front yard by an illegal immigrant who was a convicted felon, shouldn't have had a gun, but part of his freaking gang ritual is to get out of jail. They hand him a gun, they got to go kill somebody. So he randomly was shot down in his front yard. Nobody cares. The moment the fucking city found out that it was an illegal immigrant, the marker that the city councilman was going to put up went away because they didn't want to touch 
or do anything against illegals. Illegals are more important citizens to this country, to the Democratic Party, than you and I, than veterans, than disabled vets, than white females who are gay. So, we're, we're never going to fix this problem. And if a Democratic president gets elected, you can just guarantee you better go start packing. Because they're going to let anybody come in. And, and they don't hand them to ICE. Hardcore criminals can come in this country. They don't give a fuck. And it's not ever illegal immigrant. It's not even about race anymore. It's about law and order. That's what this is about. But they flip it to race. They're still trying to protect themselves from not wanting to abolish slavery and Jim Crow. And that people might find out someday the biggest murder of blacks in this country isn't the police, isn't white people. It's Planned Parenthood. So for news, once again, we've had all this, oh, the news and the op-eds. This is uh, freelance writer David Cleon. It's a Twitter screed he had. It's disgraceful the mainstream media outlets treat Fox News as a peer and not what it is, the most powerful white nationalist media institution on earth, not to mention a systematic rape cult. Yeah, that's what he said. It should never have been tolerated. Everything else stems from that. Tens of thousands of us should surround their headquarters in Midtown Manhattan early one morning and not let anyone through. Sorry to bother your style. It would get ugly, but the whole world would watch. Somebody said that that's kind of wrong. I hear you, but it also literally puts a block of fascists on prime time every night in front of tens of thousands of people, including the president. Cops would beat the shit out of us, probably, because all cops are bad. Okay, fine, no. I don't literally think everyone who takes money from the Murdoch-owned business is a fascist. And yes, I should probably focus my rage on Fox News. Sorry for everyone I offended. The goal is to raise the social and professional cost of working for Fox News. So basically we're supposed to mob violence people. Seth Mandel. Love being informed that I'm a fascist by a Rose bro who suggests mob violence against literally hundreds of people he's never met. Rose Twitter thinks everyone else is also unemployed and podcasting from the parents' basement and can be assembled at will in midtown Manhattan to try to shut down the prince. It's always any media that doesn't say what they want. They want it shut down. But if you infringe on their seriously partisan activist media, you're a fucking fascist. And what is a fascist nowadays? Pretty much a fascist, a Nazi, a white supremacist is anybody that doesn't agree with them. That's that's how they've done it. If it's not other than them, it's always the police. Every one of these rants have the police, and you know where it comes from? Seattle police suffering possible staffing crisis after city councils accuses one cop who did something wrong, and I don't even know the case, but all the cops are racist. All of them. All of them. They're trying to investigate out their own cops over anything. Because... It pays. That's how you get reelected with the left. Hate cops, call everybody racist. It's all they have. They don't have policies. They don't have objectives. They don't have a course for the country. They just have all those people are racist. If you vote for them, you're racist. Okay, you're racist. I don't want to talk to you. Okay. 
And then go to our ugly section, Hurricane Lane, Eric Hothouse. It's horrific that the strongest hurricane to ever approach Hawaii is nearing landfall, threatening a flooding disaster on par with the worst in American history. And I'm wondering if the President of the United States will send relief in time because they didn't vote for him. Oliver Willis, the racist. Pretty scary that relief for the Hawaii hurricane will rest on whether Trump understands Hawaii's part of America. Others started blaming him ahead of time for any deaths that ever happened. Because this works for fucking Bush with Katrina. It's his force. He willed the store to show her. And they started on Lane. Which wasn't that bad. A lot of flooding. But it wasn't hurricane when it hit the ground. It was a small hurricane. Hmm. John Pacino. Every day when I drove, I had my Make America Great hat back in the back seat. And the juror who plans to vote for Trump again in 2020, just as a reminder. So this, once again, is summed up by Stephen Miller. The same journalists who claim we just wanted to interview them while trying to force their identities into the open are now going to go full mean girl on this juror. Watch. You, BuzzFeed, Politico, CNN. And they did. One of them was found to be interviewed as a Trump voter. Here's the problem. This is the Manafort case, because I guess I didn't set it up right. She voted against Manafort. But they're still doxing her online. Why is that acceptable? Why do real journalists think that's acceptable? If the inverse was a jury convicted a shooter of something and they're part of Black Lives Matter, you would laud them. Good for them. Because you are too. It's activism. It's outright activism. We, we, we don't have anything but activism anymore. It's just disgusting. Then Matt in Oregon sent me this one too. Family of seven dead and what would be Australia's worst mass shooting in 22 years. Just want to just let that sit. Because I think five people got killed, sadly, at this gaming contest. Seven were killed in Australia and guns are illegal. Nobody has guns. But it goes back to that adage. Criminals don't follow the law. That's why they're fucking criminals. So every time you come down and say, we just need to give up our guns because the police are going to help us, you, you can't even keep that argument going anymore. You hate the police. You hate ICE. You want all of them, the militarization of the police. You want them to just walk around with a fucking nightstick and be a bobby in your favorite fucking part of the world, Europe. No. No. Not happening. Lawless London worried residents building barricades around their homes for the Notting Hill Carnival, which is... Islamic parade that goes through every year and they destroy everything. The shops are actually boarding up, closing down because the violence is so bad. Cops are running around with anti-acid kits because they have so many acid attacks against white people. Coming to a sanctuary city near you. Then I have this one, which I, I, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it kind of gets off subject, but I'll, I'll just read the headline. In Iran, death to America doesn't always mean what it seems. Take a guess what news agency put that out. Did you say CNN? 
Ding, 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 ding. You're right. And another example of our media liking our enemies more than their own countrymen. And that's the progressive party right now. Facebook. Selena Zito. So this is interesting. Facebook took down my post of my reporting for the New York Post. I received nine separate messages from readers telling me the same thing has happened to them. They flagged it as spam. The article, why Trump supporters won't care about Cohen and Manafort convictions. They wanted to edit it. They didn't want it out there. They eventually apologized and says it was an algorithm. That's always the answer. It's an algorithm. But it's normal. Maria Bartiromo. Bartiromo. I can never say her fucking name. Who cares? Let me know if you see this tweet. I find this admission amazing. Maria Bartiromo's hint. Twitter may be hiding damning Clapper Obama tweet. There was a tweet put out around January. I've only seen it once. I looked for it again. I can't find it. And it's Clapper basically dogging at, basically saying Anderson Cooper that Obama set off the sequence of events that led to the Mueller investigation. He did it before he left office. It was political. It wasn't based on facts. It was political. I remember the soundbite. I played it on the show. You can't find that tweet. Hundreds of people tried to find it. You can't find it. Twitter has censored it. Because once again, they don't want the DNC to get hurt. They just don't. Ginsburg! We covered that last podcast. CNN's doubled down and gone deeper on their crazy jumping the shark. Ginsburg's a fucking great Supreme Court justice showing that they just are an activist organization. Episode 5 to RBG Beyond Notorious takes us back to the 60s when Justice Ginsburg was self-proclaimed flaming feminist litigator fighting gender discrimination cases in front of an all-male Supreme Court. Ben Shapiro, what an objective news network they are. Cameron Gray, find somebody who loves you like CNN loves RBG. It's true. And lastly, impeachment. Well, Ari Fleischer got nuked for this, but here it goes. I don't care for Trump's, t- Trump's style. He can be too offensive and divisive. I like many of his policies. If he fires Mueller, Pardons, Manafort, I consider impeachment. But nothing so far merits impeachment. The remedy for those who can't stand him is political. Beat him in 20 if you can. People are asking me why firing, pardoning might make me support impeachment. Here's why. Trump has a constitutional right to do both, but I believe either one would be obstruction of justice designed to protect himself. That's not the purpose of those presidential powers. I also think firing subordinate officers like Comey is different. Comey had other duties and lost the trust of POTUS. Mueller's only job is to investigate Trump. Trump firing Mueller would be an attempt to interfere with that investigation vis-a-vis it should be gone. He got nuked for that because right now they're in that mode. CNN and MSNBC said impeachment 220 times in one day. Here's just a sample. The president of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump, is named a co-conspirator of a federal crime. Is that grounds for impeachment? Do you think impeachment is more likely at this point? Impeachment. 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 
Does this move the needle at all? More confidence to move forward on impeachment. The president facing impeachment. Impeachment will be on the Democrats' agenda. The I-word, impeachment. The I-word, impeachment. The I-word, impeachment. The I-word, the I-word, and impeachment. Let's take a look at the process of impeachment. Impeachment, impeachment. Impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. To impeach or impeachment. Impeachment, he would have been impeached. All of it bringing impeachment back to the forefront. Talking about impeachment. Impeachment talk. Impeachment is a more viable option. Do you think it would be appropriate? to immediately begin impeachment proceedings. Impeachment. Impeachment. Impeachable. Impeachment. 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 There's only two reasons why this could be going on. Number one, they're activists and they want him impeached, which, which, which is what I think. Or two, they're not a news source and they're playing what they think their people want to watch. They know that everybody who watches them is resistance. They've totally sold out on CNN to try to improve the ratings like MSNBC and just be a political arm of the Democratic National Committee. And so they're playing it to hopefully get people in. It's a clickbait version. There's nothing to impeach him on. Even if he told somebody to pay somebody hush money, that's not impeachable. It's not an impeachable offense. It's not a high crime or misdemeanor. There's a slush front in Congress for everybody else who's paying off people they sexually harass. So, you're going to impeach all them? A lot of them are Democrats. But by the end of the week, with them just talking impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. I actually flipped in a couple times. All I saw was impeachment, 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 impeachment. With smiles. They were happy. From Nicole Wallace to fucking Chris Cuomo. Happy, 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 happy. They then had the gall to end on the president is impeaching. He's or politicizing impeachment. He's the one politicizing it. He's making a big deal about impeachment. But that's a real thing. And it's how we end our fire for effect and go into hate tweets. But could the optics of all the president's men impact the president's ability to govern? He always thinks he can survive. Why? Because he's been Houdini in the past. The question is this time, is Bob Mueller and Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort enough to trump his Houdini ways? Capitol Hill still reeling from the Cohen plea and the Manafort conviction. A number of Republicans seeking to distance themselves from the president uh, from his former associates turned felons, while Democrats are seizing the moment to throw up roadblocks for the president's Supreme Court nominee. Democrats today demanding a delay in Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. Republicans who control the calendar dismissing that idea. Most Democrats steering carefully clear of the I-word, impeachment. President, do you think this is at the point where there should be conversations about impeaching President Trump? I don't think it's that point in time. The time could come if Democrats retake the House in the midterm elections this fall. And some Democrats have already brought up impeachment hearings if they take control of the House after the midterms. Some Democrats are also calling to delay the confirmation hearings for the president's Supreme Court pick, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, because he has said in the past he does not believe sitting president should be subject to criminal investigations. As for impeachment, this White House does not fear Republicans. Republicans, but knows that this week's events have vastly complicated the push to confirm Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court and begin talks to avert a government shutdown. Jeff, both of those intensify 
next month. I just want to get your take on what we heard from Giuliani and President Trump talking about impeachment. The president forced to address his own impeachment. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like they're they're playing politics of fear right out of that play, playbook. Um, they are. A couple things. Um, Trump's description of impeachment is almost comically inane. He seems to believe that uh, the health of the markets alone would guarantee his job security. And just, just ask Bill Clinton if having a robust economy and record uh, growth and unemployment kept him in office. It didn't. Uh, but you're right. This is political jargon. And frankly, it's, it's a good strategy. Rudy Giuliani, remember, is not playing legal counsel, per se, to the president. He's playing political advisor. And in sort of stoking these fears among the electorate that if Democrats win the House, they'll try to impeach the president. That's for turnout. That's a good message. That's a good fear for Rudy Giuliani and Trump to convey to Republicans, you better come out and vote to keep Republicans in the House or this whole thing is, uh, you know, going to end in revolt, as Giuliani said. The question is, will it be effective in turning out the base, turning out voters for yeah. Tweet of the day! East Room of the White House, where in just a few minutes, Air Force Technical Sergeant John A. Chapman will posthumously receive the Medal of Honor, the nation's highest award for valor in combat. I know sometimes some of you tweet me that you're frustrated when we go to the White House for events. I will beg your indulgence when it comes to Medal of Honor recipients. These are American heroes who do deserve your time. Uh, as I mentioned before you came in, sometimes our viewers don't like to stick around when we go to hear the president speak, but the exception must be made for Medal of uh, Honor recipients. So it is important, and this is sort of what I was sharing with my viewers, it's important that we, we pause and we listen to these stories very fully. That, my friends, is an MSDNC host begging his viewers to watch the Chapman Congressional Medal of Honor ceremony. There's two reasons why he's doing it. One MSDNC is too scared to put Trump on their TV because they get such bad fucking blowback as they're supporting the president, even in a Congressional Medal of Honor ceremony. You're supporting their president. Secondly, they know their viewers hate the military. Democrats hate the military complex. True hero, hero and warriors to them are, of course, Antifa beating the fuck out of fucking innocent people all the time. And I just had to start off on that because that's just fucking horrible. Stephen Gutowski brings us our next one. Amazon banned the sales of Gunbook on Wednesday night for an unexplained violation of company rules. The listing for the liberal code book, an exercise of freedom of speech, which has been available on Amazon since August 1st, was removed from Amazon website, and it's because it's a conservative-leaning book. Amazon. I love you, Amazon. I watch Amazon Prime all the time. I'm a huge, huge user of your streaming service, but your politics are fucking horrible. Professor, political scientist, CEO and author David Rothkoff asked this about President Trump. Can you think of an American public official who was worse human being than Donald Trump? Seriously, just one. And the world came at him. Ted Kennedy killed a woman. Mary Jo Kopecka could not be reached for comment. I'm a liberal, but what the Clintons did to Lewinsky and how it affected that woman and women in general is horrible. So measuring the evil of an incident, this race quite high. Former Speaker of the House Dennis Habert's sexually abused boys. Anthony Weiner sexed with a minor. 
Bill Clinton was accused of several instances of sexual harassment. So yeah, there's a lot worse out there. Your partisan lens don't let you see it. AP politics. Trump joined children coloring pictures of American flags. How many Russia instances did you see? Oh, about 2,000. I'm not reading them. The movie Crazy Rich Asians is doing big at the box office. And this was the tweet for the New York Times. Crazy Rich Asians was number one at the box office, posting the best mark for PG-13 rom-com in six years. This shows once again with emphasis that true diversity matters. But that's not a good thing to Vox's David Roberts. I want to go see Crazy Rich Asians. If only the cast, my consumer vote, is a favor of representation. But I really, really hate the celebration of conspicuous wealth. I watched that trailer and all I could see is moral monsters. Am I too dour and judgy to enjoy it? I'd really like to see a healthy, suspicious hostility towards rich people. Everybody said, let's look at the guy who signs your fucking paycheck. You don't hate him, do you? Yeah, he probably does. From Columbia, South Carolina, I really love their police force, and I'm a big fan down there because um, their officers are fantastic on live PD. But this is fucking horrible, so I put it in the hate tweets. Chief, police dog was left in a car for six hours, died from heat. These officers were doing an event, an active school shooting event at a school. They were there for six hours. There were a lot of canines. They left their AC on, and they went back and checked their dog because they can't bring him in the building. This guy left the window down and the AC on. It was a 95-degree day, and he killed his dog. He was suspended without pay for a week, and he lost his canine handling. He's now a desk duty guy, but that should have been firing. But Once again, it's a union. Now this... Jesus was a Palestinian Jewish rabbi. He was a person of color that was killed by white supremacy. This progressive inclusive church doubles as a brewery to raise fund for Planned Parenthood. Somebody's tweet, this is a satanic temple, not a church. He's a snake, not a pastor, and Jesus was killed by his own people. Other than that good stuff, I was guessing Portland, but it turned out to be Santa Cruz. Listen to this madness. And I'm not a judger of religion. Everybody has their own religion. But motherfucker, please. How can you be a Christian and send all your funds to Planned Parenthood? What would it look like a church that looked like it, that Jesus started and not like when America out of that consistent question, this model for a brewery church that generates local charity. We are open and affirming LGBTQ uh, womenists, and I believe Jesus was too. We are, which I believe that's the original mandate of uh, the children of God, to take care of the planet that no one enjoy. We are anti we Jesus was too. We are social justice, which Jesus was a Palestinian rabbi. He was a person of color killed by white supremacy. So we're making every effort to be on the front lines for racial. So that's what sets us many American churches.
buy a brewery and then we can use on Sunday before it opens to the public as a worship and we can use the funds to give to these that people of all faiths, all sexual, all race, uh, and even all faith identities can support. We, we came up with this model and we awesome spot consequently happens to be Planned Parenthood in Santa Cruz, which door and support their efforts for giving health care. A gimmick at all to grow a you know six flags over Jesus like we've gotten there. This is uh, just to do good. What the fuck, Chuck? That's some creepy ass shit. And to our tweet of the day, since we're doing it backwards, that makes more sense. Makes more sense. They don't want to be named, but that, that makes more sense. I don't know why I didn't think it out. Kathy Griffin celebrating the Manafort and Cone verdict topless, naturally. So the internet dogged her, and some of them, and we'll go down to the best one. Chris Christie sitting on a beach staring at her with his shirt off. Michael Jordan crying back of the room for Acosta when he's trying to holler shit and the press corps is trying to get him just to shut the fuck up. But my favorite is basically the CNN meme where the guy's walking down the road and he looks at another girl's ass and this girl looks at him. Well, the guy's looking at her with a horror face. And that is a tweet of the day. Hypocrisy! And I hear, I hear your argument. Here's the thing. Um, these tariffs, right, on China, you say will help our business. Will help you, will help your workers. You've even said in different articles, will help you hire more and expand your business. But what about critics that would say, look, you're only looking out for your own business. Look at the big picture here. Look at the Federal Reserve warning yesterday that if this escalates, it will depress the economy. Look at soybean farmers in the middle of this country who have taken a huge negative blow because of the tariffs and the serious damage that it is causing them. What about those American workers? Well, I sincerely believe that the net net of this will be good for American workers. You know, when you, when you implement bad trade policy for almost 40 years and you do business with a partner that doesn't respect your values or your laws, you, you some, someday there's a reckoning. You have to show them that if they're going to enjoy your market, you ha- they have to support certain, certain values that you have and allow you access to theirs. The, the pain will be far less poppy than people say. In our industry, there's been an exodus out of China to other Asian countries for the last 10 years. How do you know because that, Because once Michael? China bought our market... Hold on. How do, how do I know that? The, all of these tar- no, no, no. All of these tariffs have not changed China's behavior yet, right, when it comes to intellectual property, etc. How do you know that the pain will be a lot less than what is being predicted? 
we did, we have not had restrictive tariffs on China yet. It, it's kind of like the old Albert Einstein thing. You keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Well, we've done the same thing for 40 years, and the result is not good. So if we're ever going to turn this thing around, we have to do it while our, our economy is strong, while we have some leverage to bargain with China, by the way, something they respect very greatly. And uh, we need to try and turn this thing around. And I, I Poppy, just a discussion of these duties. It's not that we, we might be hiring. We are hiring and have been hiring yeah. since the news started coming out that there may be duties. So there are new American manufacturing jobs being created right now as we speak. And that is Poppy Harlow from CNN actually scolding a small business owner because he doesn't think like her. Yeah. Activism? Journalism. Yeah, activism. CBS News reported this week, reality winner who leaked a report on Russian hacking has received the prosecutor's call the longest federal sentence ever imposed for media leak. She got five years. Chris Hayes, five years in prison for this is absolutely nuts. Nuts! Under Obama, Bradley Manning got 35 years. But I'm sure you don't have a problem with that initially. Until he became transgender. Then you did. And like everybody else, so did Obama. And he got his sentence communed. So, yeah. I got it. State secrets under Trump's good. State secrets under Obama. That's horrible. PBS NewsHour this week marked the longest period of uninterrupted gains in the stock market in U.S. history. One of the reasons the increase in stock buybacks, companies purchasing their own shares. The benefit of that for the larger economy are very much in question, report says. Mark Hemingway, I'll take tweets from Obama organization that would be very different under a Democratic administration for $400, Alex. Oh, so the market rising and lifting 401ks and brokerage accounts, 50% Americans is not always good. Okay, very much in question. Liberal code for we will frame it as negatively as possible because Trump or something. Then Time Magazine, with their lauded cover, Time Magazine, Trump's in trouble. Here's how much. Here is how much worse it can get. It shows a floating desk, and he floats up, and he's been flooded, and da-da-da-da-da. And then somebody put out the differences. Time Commander. A picture of a smiling Obama. And the winner is a smiling Obama. What Obama knows now with a happy Obama. So far for Bush, his face is melting, he's a yellow-haired gangster, um, he's looking down on a little girl for a fake picture, and he's in a flooded office because he's going to be impeached because that's what they hope. So We're objective, totally. New York Times opinion, you've told us that you'd, what you, that you'd like us to feature more diverse voices. What else can we improve? Take our five-minute survey, which I did, and I nuked them. And what do you think the internet did? Uh, the internet was perfect. How about more articles from Sarah Jong on the utility of judging people on dermal pigmentation? <laughs> Want to hear some more about how white people are like dogs pissing on fire hydrants? Hire more racist people. That ought to do it. Joey Solomon has our best, though. More fuck white people editorials, please. <laughs> but the big epoxy of the week was a Ansley Earhart interview with Trump. Granted, it was biased. I'm hitting it from the avenue of, come the fuck on, people. Do we remember Obama and what 
his interviews are like. But Brian Seltzer did a whole article on it. Brian Seltzer just can't help himself, desperately going after his comp- competitors on Fox News for getting more interviews with Trump than his network ever will. The beater CNN host and senior media correspondent attacked Fox Friends host Ansley Earhart on Twitter for an interview with Trump that aired in the morning and blew up the media today for the president's comments on Manafort trial and whether or not he could be impeached. But Steltzer was more outraged by Fox News host's interview style, heckling her in a tweet and blog post about her softball questions to Trump. Unfortunately for Seltzer, he doesn't have the greatest record on giving hard interviews with Democrats either. Seltzer started the food fight by tweeting this out. I made a list of 18 questions Ansley Earhart asked the Prussian. Let's play softball. That's what he did to take on the hardball coast. In the accompanied article, he whined Fox failed to do his journalistic duty in grilling the president during the most important season of his presidency. Stelzer quickly admitted that Earnhardt did ask Trump about the Manafort and Cohen trials, but in the gentlest way possible. Maybe Seltzer would have found it more appreciative if Earnhardt yelled out the same question repeatedly like his network reporters do, which is true. Seltzer then listed Earnhardt's questions within that the Fox News reporter did ask the very same questions that many of her liberal counterparts in the media have asked, but that apparently wasn't enough for Stelzer. After Stelzer shared the article, he immediately received backlash from his glaring hypocrisy. User after user reminded Stelzer of the softball questions President Obama received from the press, not just from his network, but the majority of them. Other pointed out that Stelzer himself had given plenty of softball intervals to, interviews to liberals just recently with de Blasio and David Hogg. In the last interview, actually admitted later that he had let Hogg get away with spreading lies. Not to mention that CNN leaked questions to the Clinton campaign before one of the election town halls. So Stelzer really had no sound footing to stand on going after Fox for the more friendly tone. Stelzer also retreated New York Times culture writer David Isakoff, who shared an Im- image of Earnhardt smiling with the president and the snarky caption, Adversarial Journalism. Conservatives, conservatives took him to task sharing pictures of CNN reporters smiling with Obama. No, I don't. But you should be the last person to be commenting on this, considering the quality of interviews you give, was an answer by one. Caleb Hole tweeted, Brian Seltzer, the king of lack of self-awareness. And they show a picture of him and his wife with the Obamas, and he has a shit-eating grin on his face. Oliver Darcy, of course, got in. How you doing? How's your country first lady doing? How are your children doing? How do you handle all of these? That Brian Seltzer has a list of 18 softball questions lobbed at Trump. Somebody asked him, can you repost the tough questions CNN asked Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton? In fact, didn't one of your staff give debate questions to Hillary? Were these guys awake during 2009 and 2016? Self-awareness reminder incoming Jim Tretcher. Then snuff with Clinton bill type. Pictures of him literally with Clinton smiling ear to ear. People did the Newsweek. Why are Obama's critics so dumb? Rolling Stone. A new hope. A new hope. But I'm going to play a soundbite and then I'm going to read questions given to Obama. And I couldn't find my favorite, which is Lauer basically jerking himself because the president got on time again. Couldn't find that soundbite. I should have saved the damn thing. But these are questions that they've asked Obama. Thank you, Mr. President. Mm -hmm. 
during these first 100 days, what has surprised you the most about this office, enchanted you the most about serving in this office, humbled you the most, and troubled you the most? Now, let me write this down. <laughs> hey, Mr. President, good to see you, sir. Good to see you. So here we are. Here we are. We went to Illinois nearly two years ago to do a story on a young, charismatic senator named Barack Obama. We have a new CBS poll, and I'll give you the, the news that's good for you first. This is very improbable. <laughs> this is not an interview I ever expected to be doing. But I understand, Mr. President, this was your idea. Why did you want to do this together, a joint interview? How would you characterize your relationship right now? I'm going to spare you reading some of the things that you said about each other during <laughs> May. What about the spouses? Well, Is that an impertinent <laughs> question? Did you ever doubt it was going to happen? Of course. When? Well, let's see. About a year ago, we were down 30 in Iowa. <laughs> People like you. They respect you. They think that you're working hard. There have been moments when you've said, what did I get myself into? <laughs> Where do you get all this confidence? <laughs> when was the first moment that it began to sink in that you were president of the United States? That they think that you've lost your mojo, that you've lost your... <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that drives you crazy. <laughs> was it love at first sight? No. <laughs> so have you gotten into a routine? I have. How are you finding the job? Uh, it's exhilarating. How many decisions do you have to make a day? Can't count them. You didn't have one of these when you were I a kid. I sure did not. I thought we were going to get like two swings. Your poopa uh, rating is four times higher than the Congress. <laughs> it's a low bar. You gotten lost in here yet? I have, repeatedly. <laughs> I think that the country deeply appreciates the fact that you have not spoken clearly, I think, probably what's on your mind in relation to President <laughs> Yeah, time out a second. Now, my, my question oh, look, look, is, Senator... Oh, oh, I've got to defend my, my bowling honor here. <laughs> Are you? I mean, why do you think you would be a good Well, person? I was going to get to that. Oh, okay, okay. Go ahead. Why do you think he keeps coming to you? I think he knows that we're not going to play gotcha with him, that we're not going to go out of our way to make him look bad or stupid. A morning show first. It is America's most famous address, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, site of some of the most important events in history. As President Obama gets set to deliver his last State of the Union address to the nation tonight. We're on the steps of the White House. I have to say, that qualifies as special. We are on the North Portico, a moment of history for us, for this show, and where so much history has been made. That's right. On the cool scale, this one's off the charts. We've been being granted incredible access, and we're very appreciative. I can show you the greatest to-go cup in the world. Look at that. The presidential seal. I mean, even the plates are cool and official looking, say E Pluribus Unum. Welcome back on a really special day. We are here at the White House. We're facing the South Lawn. We're looking at the Washington Monument. And we are pinching ourselves. Smile and wave, boys. Yeah. Smile and wave. That's a postcard right there. It's one of those moments, for sure. It really is. 
When it comes to the emotional state of our union, when I go out and I talk to people, the words I hear them use most often in terms of how they're feeling right now, they talk about fear, they talk about frustration, they talk about fatigue. That fear, though, is still incredibly real. And in some ways, it's driving the current presidential campaign. You've got a guy like Donald Trump and others who have recognized and identified that fear. And in some ways, they're running on it. Do you take responsibility for that? Do you feel you're responsible for a certain hunger out there for the message that Donald Trump is putting out? Now to today on the trail in an exclusive interview with Barack Obama on Sunday. I caught up with him in the battleground state of North Carolina. And I started by asking him about Colin Powell's endorsement and if the general had any advice or given him any advance notice. No. Uh, you know, we had obviously sought his endorsement for a long time. This is exactly what he told me. He said, Barack, I know you. I know John McCain. You're both friends of mine. Uh, I think you're both uh, fine public servants. I think that this election is so important that I'm just going to watch uh, what you guys do. I'm not going to make a decision early. I want to see how people respond. I'm going to watch the debates, uh, and I'll make a decision after that. And I did not speak to him until uh, after he appeared on Meet the Press. Which begs the question, as you talk to him afterward to thank him, I would imagine, Absolutely. do you then say, Secretary Powell, it would be great to see you out on the campaign trail over these next 16 days? You know, I, I won't lie to you. I would love to have him uh, at any stop he wants to uh, participate did in. I, I did. And, and I think that, you know, this is an example of, of why uh, General Powell is, is admired. He said, look, I'm not a politician, and I don't want to uh, go out there and hit the stump. That's just not what I do. Uh, I think it's best for you and John McCain to duke it out. Obviously, uh, if, he, if he wants to show up, he's going to have an open invitation. He told Tim Russert back in 2007 he really didn't have any intention of getting back into politics, at least in an, for an elected office, but he right. said, I've always got my ear open right. for the call to serve, which right. also begs the question, would you like to find a role for him if you're lucky enough to be elected? Well, I think, he, he, here's what I can say for certain. He will have a role as one of my advisors. Uh, he's already served in that function even before he uh, endorsed me. Uh, whether he wants to take a formal role, whether there's something that's a good fit for him, I think is something that he and I would have to discuss. Let me ask you about another recent endorsement, the Washington Post in endorsing you. They were very tough on John McCain, saying anyone who talks about national security and says he feels as deeply about it couldn't have chosen Sarah Palin as someone who is a heartbeat away from the presidency. And I know you've been asked it, but, Senator, I've never heard you come right out and say, is she qualified to be president today? I am going to let the American people decide on that. Uh, it, frankly, I just don't know enough about Sarah Palin. I haven't heard a long discussion uh, Even the about Chicago Tribune, policy. historically <laughs> a very conservative paper from yes. your hometown, yes. in endorsing you. Yeah was critical of McCain, saying Sarah Palin is not ready. Look, I'm running against McCain-Palin. Anything that I say about uh, Governor Palin uh, will be seen through that lens. I don't need to add to people's assessments. Let the voters uh, and observers make uh, their own judgments in terms of who's qualified. Let's talk about Iraq. Iraqi officials and U.S. officials are negotiating a deal, and they're pretty close, apparently, where U.S. troops would be withdrawn from Iraq at the end of 2011. Right. You've already said you want 2010 right. as a date. So does that piece of paper, if it's formalized, become meaningless if there's a Barack Obama presidency? No, I don't think it becomes meaningless. The Washington Post, again, in endorsing you, did say that your call for defined timelines to get the troops out was perhaps a critical flaw. 
and, and that it could cost us the security that has been hard fought over this last year. Keep in mind, uh, as Commander-in-Chief, my job will be to keep the American people safe, which means that if I ever make a determination that the American people will be safer by me making adjustments, I will make those adjustments because that's my job. My assessment right now is that in 16 months we can have our combat troops out. We will still have a residual force there. When you and the smart people in your campaign get together on the plane or wherever and you crunch the numbers and you look not only at the national polls but state by state and the battleground states, do you see a path to victory for John McCain? Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, I, we think that the race will tighten just because that's what happens at the end of campaigns. They always have, even when uh, there are substantial leads. And in each of these battleground states, uh, you've got a lot of close races. One of the messages that I've had to my team is that we don't let up. We do not let up. There are political strategists out there who say, you know what you should be doing right now? You should get on a bus. You should go across the country simply waving out the window. You should avoid interviews with guys like me. You should avoid any spontaneous interaction. Like <laughs> With just over two weeks until Election Day, on the trail, Senator Obama says his campaign is still making its case to voters and hasn't forgotten a lesson from the primaries. You remember we had those big leads. We had gotten 11 wins in a row against Senator Clinton. Mm -hmm. I think there was this sense of, okay, the things are kind of working out. And, and thought that we could just ride momentum, and we ended up getting our uh, head handed to us. Every time we've gotten in trouble in this campaign, it's because we started trying to play ball control offense. Senator Barack Obama on the campaign trail in North Carolina. We're going to have more of that interview in our next half hour, including what kinds of sacrifices Americans will have to make if and when he's elected on both of them. But first, let's have more of this exclusive interview with Barack Obama. On Sunday, I sat down with the Democratic nominee on the campaign trail in North Carolina. And with the nation caught in an economic tailspin in fighting wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, I asked the senator what he would expect of all Americans if he's elected. Could you give me one concrete sacrifice that, as president, you will look to the American people and say, you must make this sacrifice? On energy, we are going to have to completely change our energy economy. And there are going to be a whole bunch of changes that have to be made. Everything from how we build our buildings to how we deal with our transportation sector to retrofitting our power plants for uh, uh, how we produce electricity. All those things are going to require not only government action, they're going to have to require individual action. I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for President of the United States of America. You declared you're running for president uh, February 10th, 2007. Since then, Senator, the country and the world have changed dramatically. Perhaps Iraq is the, is the best news, but <laughs> Afghanistan is less stable. The economy is in disastrous straits. You've got housing problems, energy problems, unemployment problems, Pakistan, Iran, a resurgent Russia. Is this still the same job that you signed on for? I anticipated, and the reason I wanted to run, was because I felt that, that, that there was going to be a transitional moment in America, that uh, we had sort of come to a dead end in, uh, in the economic theories that were governing, uh, in the foreign policy uh, that the Bush administration had taken to its logical and, I think, unproductive conclusion. So I knew there was going to be a shift and that the next president would have to create a new economic 
approach and a new foreign policy approach. I didn't expect that uh, the wheels would come off so badly on right. both fronts. This idea that you are the one, Oprah's words. Um, or that one. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> one, John McCain's words. Uh, people have called you the savior, the messiah, the messenger of change. The expectations have been raised to such a level. Some people say you're partly responsible because of your confident attitude. If you are, as you just say, lucky enough to be elected the next president, are you going to have to consciously manage expectations during the first several months of your administration? Yes, even before I'm sworn in. Um, not in terms of what I think we can accomplish long term, but I think it's very important to understand that we're not going to reverse all these problems overnight. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. Right now, with two weeks to go, where are you emotionally? When I get this close, we're two weeks away, I try not to project forwards or backwards too much. I try to just stay focused on what do I have to do today to deliver the message, to make sure that our organization is working all on He says mm -hmm. when he lies in bed at night, he allows himself to daydream about both possible outcomes, winning and, and losing. possibly losing. Interesting, interesting. Now let's get it. And here's their greatest hits. Number one, golf, what does it do for you? CBS Harry Smith opened an interview with Obama during his first year in office by mocking the notion that liberal reporter could be biased and then concluded it by asking the leader of free world about golf, which was off limits for Trump or Bush. Remember? It's off limits. Next one. I'm wondering if you think that Republican presidential candidates are uninformed, out of touch, or irresponsible. CNN reporters have been especially indignant that conservative media outlets have been called on at White House press conferences, but the outlet's journalists were always so tough on the White House. In November 2011, Dan Lothian spoke truth to power by asking then-President Obama if he thought Republican presidential candidates Michelle Bachman and Herman Cain were uninformed. Three, do you have a vindicated strength? That was Lester Holt. Four, what has enchanted you the most? That was Jeff Zellini. You heard it. He's now the C senior CNN White House correspondent. Yeah. Five. In this fatherless world, where did you learn to love? From Harry Smith of CBS. What hard things do you want to tackle at this point? CNN, Jim Acosta who has been especially upset about conservative media access to the White House, held Obama's feet to the fire by noting, it seems that you built up some political capital for the remaining months of your presidency. What hard things do you want to tackle at this point? Okay. Seven, are you ready to call yourself the comeback kid? That was Karen Bohan of Reuters. You definitely have some impressive accomplishments and more than a lot of presidents who managed to get reelected. My question is, is it enough? Steve Croft once again. Croft, you definitely have some better. Thank you, Steve. No, you do. And more than a lot of presidents who managed to get reelected. My question is enough. Why do you think you deserve to be reelected? Atlantic Connor Freinsberg called the interview a typical example of broadcast journalists failing to hold a powerful politician accountable because they hated him because he wasn't far left enough. Have you given up on the Republicans? That was Croft again. Tell me, what do you consider your major accomplishment? That came from uh, Croft again. What do you think Republicans will be sipping and saying next year? 
In the same press conference where Obama was asked if he was a comeback kid, Dan Lothian asked the president what he thought Republicans will be sipping and saying next year. Really? What do you do to avoid the dangers of being too cocky? That came from John Harwood, who close this with the Clinton campaign was exposed by WikiLeaks last year. Found it necessary to ask the president in 2009 how he avoids being too cocky. How confident are you that your plan is going to work? And how do you avoid the dangers of being too cocky? Because you're so awesome. How does your golf game hold up next to Tigers? Was an important pressing question by Dan Ashley, a reporter at ABC News San Francisco. Yeah. Hmm. But my favorite, once again, is Matt Lauer. People have called you Savior, the Messiah, the Messenger of Change. The expectations you have been raised to such a level. If you are, as you just say, lucky enough to be elected the next president, are you going to have a conscious, consciously managed expectations during the first several months of your administration because you're transformal? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, her, her interview wasn't that great, but any news agency running their suck after fucking eight years of Mr. Hope and Changey, shut the fuck up. McCain is also where we're going to end up in our hypocrisy because at the end of the day, uh, the hypocrisy on this is amazing. Um, Prayers go to his family. It was terminal. We knew it. But the way the media is handling now because he was anti-Trump is sure different than 2008. When John McCain ran for president in 2008, the media called him sick in the head, unfit for office, and a white supremacist. Now they all pretend to care about him. It's a fake and sick game by psychopaths. They destroyed a man when he opposed Democrats. Now they love them. But how are conservatives handling it? Bill Kristol, who's now a Democrat, I trust that Trump's bitter envy of a far better man gnaws at his soul such as it is. And I suspect that Trump is made miserable by the inescapable fact that McCain is admired by those whose admiration is worth having. While he's not. Yeah. Cudgel. Just, it's just political. It's a cudgel. David Mack, the former president and current president on the passing of Senator John McCain. His parlance was how awesome Obama was about writing a full page about himself again and Trump just wished him his family peace so it was look at my president he's better but the best part was right after he died Vox stayed to who Vox is I'm not dogging him they stayed to who he is you can draw a straight line from John McCain to Donald Trump through Sarah Palin and they dogged him for Palin, and they said, you brought us Donald Trump. So they they did the right thing. Jim Tretcher, it's dangerous to call us enemies of the people, and also here's why the guy who literally just died actually sucks. Kathy Griffin, take his name out of your mouth, you piece of shit. You maligned his military service while you did everything to avoid serving. You attacked him repeatedly while you knew he was dying, and you cozied up to Putin while he did everything he could to oppose him. Fuck you. That's to the President of the United States. Yeah. She's a hateful, hateful woman. Hateful, hateful woman, and I could read a million things that she said back in the day, but I'll just read once. Kathy Griffin, she was so famous as governor, you know, when John McCain picked her up after meeting her for 10 minutes, and um, that must have been a some blow job. That's what she said about McCain. All of them. McCain was a Nazi. Remember that. 
Schadenfreudish. I can never say that guy's name. Thanks, Chuck. This is such a good example of how idiotic liberals have been acting for the last couple of days. They all hated this man until this past year. Griffin is a hypocrite. She pretends to care by once again insulting President Trump and bringing attention to herself. Johnny J., take his name out of your mouth as well. You and all your liberal friends hated McCain. Now you're just using his death to take a shot at the president, you fucking hypocrites. Huffpo. In addition to his lifetime of public service, McCain moved the needle on glioblastoma awareness. He dedicated his life to serving the country he loved. I have no doubt that Maverick Legacy will forever be an important model of leadership and civil discord. 2008, on the red carpet for McCain, Hitler, Satan, and Jeffrey Dahmer. I swear, the pre-debate coverage on E! is totally awesome. Remember, he was a he was a Nazi. McCain was a Nazi and he was too old to be president. That's what we were told. That's how it was spelled out to us through that whole election. New York Times salutes the late John McCain, but 2008 campaign coverage was totally classless. The Times isn't always treated Senator McCain so respectfully. Look back to 2008 campaign. McCain, seen as a moderate maverick by the Times and other outlets, was the paper's clear personal favorite during the Republican primary. But after he became the only person standing between a history-making Barack Obama or the female first president, Hillary Clinton, the Times' treatment of McCain turned hostile, with reporters in turn suggesting McCain was too old or even constitutionally ineligible to office, a warmonger with hits of racism, who may have had an affair with a lobbyist, and who spread vicious anti-Obama falsehoods on the campaign trail. Here's just a small sample. Too old to run, reporter Michael Cooper. The quest to win the presidency at an age when he would be too old to be a commercial airline pilot or even a judge in some states has already led Mr. McCain to adopt a more grueling campaign schedule and more vigorous style than several of his younger rivals. Not to be morbid, but eight vice presidents have succeeded presidents who died in office. But he does have white hair, scars from the bout of melanoma, and limited flexibility from the injuries he got in Vietnam. And the fact remains, by the end of his term, he would be 80. Ineligible! The Times, New York Times, may still cry over false accusations that Obama is an American citizen, but has also flowed the smear that McCain was ineligible for presidency because he was born in the Panama Canal. Warmonger Julie Bozeman. And Mr. McCain has developed a reputation as a warmonger with the strong support of the Iraq War and his campaign trail jokes about bombing Iran to the tune of Beach Boy song, Barbara Ann. This advertisement is an effort to smooth over the perception. Liar! Porter Larry Rotner was McCain notoriously based, biased fact-checker during the 2008 campaign. Michael Cooper also regularly tarred McCain's campaign claims about Obama as false, a bald word the paper rarely ever used against a bold move, as it was supposed to say, a bold word, but it says bold word, against Obama. Racist! Catherine Steiner, if Mr. McCain went to Pennsylvania, would keep him alive and scrambling the picture for Mr. Obama, and it would lead to grave pronouncements about racism and so-called Bradley effect of whites not being honest about their preference for pollsters. After the Obama camp Huffley accused McCain of playing the race card for ads, likening Obama to a Hollywood celebrity. The paper turned the issue around and accused McCain campaign manager Rick Davis of injecting race 
With his rejoinder about playing the race card, Mr. Davis effectively assured that race would once again become an unavoidable issue as voters faced an election in which, for the first time, one of the major parties' nominees is African American. And with its criticism, the McCain campaign was ensuring that Mr. Obama's race, he's a son of a black man from Kenya and a white one from Kansas, was going to be a factor. The editorial board posted a ridiculous blog entry calling the ad a racially tinged attack on Obama. Affair with a lobbyist? The Times got in trouble even among its liberal media colleagues with its purported bombshell about concerns McCain's staff, Senate staff, that he had been conducting an affair with lobbyist Vicki Einsman. But the unsubstantiated story fizzled. The paper ended up paying Einsman a settlement because of it. And then McCain is a POW. Porter Elizabeth Boomlier wrote at McCain visited New Orleans, site of the devastating Katrina hurricane. Mr. McCain has seemed both moved and awkward this week, and at times defensive about his own more privileged past. Did a reckoning of McCain's privileged past include his five and a half years in a POW camp? In fact, not even McCain's years of POW in Vietnam were off limits. At least the paper Sunday magazine, which printed a smear by left-wing author Gore Vidal, accusing McCain of being a phony POW. Magazine writer Matt Bai tastily suggests McCain as an isolated prisoner of war and had failed to learn the correct liberal lessons for Vietnam. That's what they thought of McCain. Now, he's a statesman. He's a great human being because he hates the person we hate. Yeah. Pretty pretty pathetic. So, let's do another moment of zen and we're going to close this podcast out with stats of the day on the other side.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reid. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. But I always thought that I'd see you again Won't you look down So we start our stats of the day with a tweet from Meet the Press, NBC, Wall Street Journal poll. Trump's approval remarkably stable after stormy week of bad news. Adam Baldwin, shorter MSM. Why isn't this working, damn it? Which is pretty much true. Colonel Rob Manis, NBC News, ABC News, NBC News, CNN, MSDNC, propaganda ministers hope dashed as Trump's poll numbers remain unchanged before and after what fake news media called very bad week for POTUS because Americans are smart. They know that Manafort pleas or charges had nothing to do with Trump and the Cohen plea is a big boring nothing. Americans care about their own lives and bank accounts and Trump policies are working for them and that's just a fact. Most people are rather pleased. How do I know? NFL legend Jim Brown backs Trump in 2020. His support will make me very unpopular in the black community. CNBC article. Target CEO. About as liberal as you can get. Raves about the U.S. economy. This is the best consumer environment I've ever seen. CBS News pollster. I don't think we'll see a blue wave. Cons vote more than Dems. Dems have more seats up. And even though everybody hates them, it is a small minority. It is the media and Antifa. Mm. And the Women's March. Yeah, them too. They, They don't like them. To our San Francisco, which keeps on hitting this, but I had to, I couldn't ignore this story. Crap job. San Francisco spending 185000 on every member of the Poop Patrol. They couldn't get people to do it. They needed five people to do it, so they basically had to give them benefits and everything. So it works out the new 830977 a year Poop Patrol could actively hunt down and clean up human waste. And then adds casually in the parentheses. By the way, the Poop Patrol earns 71760 a year, which swells to 184678 with mandated benefits, of course, and still have to clean up human waste for a living and live in San Francisco where a $100,000 salary barely com- covers the cost of living. I'm willing to crack down on transient population or versus policy on discrimination, discrimini- decriminalizing public urine- urination. San Francisco is paying a hefty price and not just employ professional poop clearers. The city's largest budget includes nearly $100 million in expenses designed to mitigate the disaster plaguing San Francisco Public Street. 
In addition to the poop patrol, the city is spending $72.5 million on street cleaning budget, $12 million on cleanup services for homeless encampments, $2.8 million on biohazard removal, $23 million for a specially designated street sweeper, or $0.23 million. I'm saying that's an expensive fucking street sweeper, that uses steam, which can effectively sanitize areas affected by human waste, and drug use, $3.1 million for series of portable toilets that won't be open at night, 364000 for Needle Team, similar to the Poop Patrol, but charged with locating and eliminating drug waste, and 700000 for Needle Cleanup Squad that requires its own vehicle to transport biohazardous waste. Yeah. That's, 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 that's progressivism right there. Wow. Don't want to don't want to hurt people's feelings by telling them you can't shit in the street. You couldn't even do that in Korea. Sure I peed by some barbs, but come on. A new study reveals music preferences may indicate your wealth status. The wealthiest genre may surprise you. Didn't surprise me. Classical $114,000 a year. Electronic 92 Rap 69, 80 to 90, 67, 80s, 90, sorry. Hard Rock 65, Pop Top 40, 61, and Countries 58,000. It's poor people. But I make well over what Hard Rock says. Well, me and the wife together, so, yeah. What else? Then I did some Googling, and, you know, I've been watching. The Waltons, don't judge me. Uh, by the way, I just got the entire family figure on the little figures. Those things are fucking worth like $50 a piece. I got a whole batch of everyone pristine connection, uh, condition for 65 bucks, And that is my uh, rainy day fund. I'll sell them on eBay if everything goes bad. But while I'm watching, you always look up weird shit because, you know, we're talking about the 40s and what was going on. Well, one of them was flying, because they talked about flying briefly. And I and I thought, what was it like to fly during that time in the 40s? Um, and somehow it turned to, you know, I wonder how many people have died flying. Since the very beginning. You know, like a lot of people don't know. A, die, a guy right after the Wright Brothers flew on the Wright Brothers and he died. His reporter, and he fell off, and he got killed. So that was like one of the first deaths. But I went through it, and aircraft accidents and incidents which resulted in at least 50 fatalities. So we're just talking commercial air. In its lifetime, which is just, you know, from 19... I think they start taking records, 1927 or something. 548 such incidents, including terrorists or other attacks of those... 201 have involved at least 100 fatalities. 34 have have had at least 200 fatalities. 8 have had 300. And 4 have had 500 when those two jets hit on the runway and killed all those people. But between, I'm sorry, 1923 and 2017, there have been 57,563 people killed flying. Now, this isn't taking an effect. Helicopter crashes, military, things like that. That's not what they counted. This is just commercial air. But if you take that against cars, 
It's scary as fuck. 3,720,174 people have been killed in the United States since 1899 in cars. 1899 is when they started taking records. There were 26 that year. By 1900, uh, 567 died. Then it went kind of down and stabilized. 1910, 1980, and it kind of proves that adage. It's safer to fly. Who'd have thunk that? And then there was a thing about terrorism. And this is sad. Uh, since 1970 through 2017, including September 11th, there have been 171,097 incidents of terrorism. And this is worldwide. 171,097. Now, the number of deaths going back then um, is pretty astounding. There was a dead and injured in 1970. There were 651 incidents of terrorism, 171 deaths, and 192 injured. Um, If you go up to uh, 2017... There were 11,000 people killed, or excuse me, 11,000 incidents, 26,500 deaths, and 34,976 injured because of, you know, the wars that are going on. Um, But in total, since 1970, 171,097 incidents. 386,223 people killed and 501,717 injured. And of those liberals, Barack Obama, all you racists out there, all you atheists out there, only 20 were due to Christian. 20. The rest is all in the name of Islam. So though we say on the show all the time, not every Muslim is a bad person. It's impossible. There's trillions of people that believe in Islam. And most of them are loving people. When you pull the Crusades out as a cudgel to try to say all race, all religions are bad, it's been a couple millennia since that's happened, folks. This is a problem in the Muslim world. There is a sect that has taken it too far. 
But the difference between a sect of Christians and a sect of Islamic people, those 20 people killed were due to extreme anti-abortion people a long time ago, decades ago, who firebombed fucking abortion centers. In Islam, it's everyday people getting hit. There isn't even a... a, they're, They're killing other Muslims. And that's a sad thing. Probably three quarters to... Probably 80% of all killed here are all Muslims. They're killing their own people. Which, you think that would make liberals be fired up because, you know, they hate Americans, but they love everybody else. You think that would get their attention because it's it's Islamic people getting killed. But since the wars, it's Christians, Yazidis. I mean, come on. They go after everybody. Jews, gay people. So... No, it's a stupid stat. It's out of left field, but we were talking, me and the wife, while we were watching it, and I Googled it, and that's on Wikipedia. Um, whole table. That that kind of, kind of sums up that straw man, that the religious right is so evil. No, we just don't believe you should kill babies. We don't kill people over that because it kind of defeats the purpose. So Black Rifle Coffee is going to bring us our lighter fare. And this is a meme that's all over the place. My, my, you know, wife had it. Uh, I just, this, I, my wife would kill me if my kid said this. Now, Zach in Tennessee said a lot of crazy shit. It's my fault. You know, when he was a kid, he cursed a lot. And so did my daughter. I mean, uh, Brittany in North Dakota said a lot of crazy shit, too. And that was my fault. But this is so hilarious. The first time I, I, I saw it, I, I thought it was dub, but it's not. And... Forgive me if you've already seen it, because it was on Facebook and everything. But this is a little boy talking to his mommy driving down the road. And Black Rifle Coffee, which is Matt Best's coffee outfit, used it to describe the Texas heat right now. And um, with his accent, this is the cutest shit I've ever seen. Freaking adorable. I know from women out there or mothers, that is just horrifying to hear a little kid talk like that. And you look at your husband and go, what the hell? But it's just adorable. Usually on the show we do hypocrisy, we have a Bias 101 segment where we do the most craziest bias stuff that I've heard this week. But I'm going to start making it my closing argument. If you do the confluence of this podcast with them wanting to impeach him so bad excited this soundbite sums it all up it is reliable sources which is supposed to be the media watchdog show for cnn and clearly it's not he's an activist and then meet the press which i no longer watch those have been the show forever i just quit watching it it's just fucking horrible i couldn't during the election it was so biased you know he asked one hard question to hillary and he looked away because he's just linked to her. His wife worked for Tim Kaine. He threw birthday parties for her campaign manager. I mean, come on. Uh, he's a Democrat. That's what Chuck Todd is. And his soundbite on this is perfect. They're giddy. They're excited. You know, like we did it with this week, a week ago. They're so excited. They're so happy. They're hoping that he gets impeached. And Chuck Todd utters the Republican echo chamber, the right-wing conservative echo chamber. 
And I about disassembled like Daffy Duck in a cartoon on that. Because right now as a you know, a consumer in this country, if you turn on CNN and MSNBC, which the, you know these two shows are from, it is nothing but an echo chamber of Trump's evil, Trump voters are racist, um, uneducated people voted him in, he's going to be impeached, it is time, why aren't the leaders impeaching him? Talk about an echo chamber. When every network was for and promoting Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and every cause that is progressive, making that normal, I just think that sums up our media environment right now. They are so unaware. They don't leave the bubble. They're surrounded by people that are like-minded, and they don't understand how they come across If they did, their ratings wouldn't be where they are. But the media right now is the strong arm of the Democratic Democratic National Committee. And they are the opposition party to anybody other than open borders, abolish ICE. Everybody has to be transgender, 95 pronoun use and freaks. They're the opposition party. Every day to take to their air, and they promote progressive ideals. And worse, something that's only happened under Trump, they condemn everyone as un-American for not agreeing with them. Is it time for newsrooms to think of new ways to convey Trump's lack of credibility? Because he says so many things that are bogus. He tells us all these lies, he spreads all these falsehoods, but he's done nothing to earn your trust and everything to squander it. The president is constantly lying and spreading conspiracy theories every day. Should there be a bug in the corner of the screen that says, warning, uh, the president's probably misleading you again? I'm done being Talmudic about is it a lie, what's his intent? Who could know intent with this man? He lies every minute, he changes his story second to second. We should just say he's lying, folks. Start from that premise. He's a liar. Okay, if you can prove he's not telling a lie, great. We should fact check him backwards, maybe. See if anything he's telling us is true. I think we've wrestled with it long enough for 18 months Hmm. that we can call him a liar without being self-conscious and nervous about it, even by some of the highest standards of legacy journalism. Trump, I mean, I understand why Republicans are motivated to keep that agenda in place. What else, like, what else is there emotionally to get Democrats out? I was just going to say, I think the Democratic leadership and and the disconnect, you know, Republicans, the the Republican base, David, Mm -hmm. wanted a more aggressive Republican Party to go after Obama and go after Hillary Clinton. And the leadership was always like, no, 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 we've got to use a product. You know, we're always trying to sort of hold back those that id in the party yeah and i and and they and they paid a price in donald trump and i'm thinking all of these responsible democratic leaders that are preaching impeachment caution are these people the base may say give me michael avenatti i don't want you responsible guys mm-hmm. well right and i think that's something the democrats are going to have to deal with but i tell you on the republican side uh... they got exactly what they wanted a guy that was going to shake things up look I, I think one of the one of the best things going in donald trump's favor we know this is the mainstream media i hate to say it i know i'm sitting on a meet the press roundtable <laughs> but the truth of the matter is sixty two percent think the media is biased so in other words if you look at the approval rating of donald trump well, cons- the, approval rating the conservative the media, echo chamber created that but environment it's, but it's not 
not, it's not, no, 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 no. I mean, yeah. it has been a tactic and a tool of the Roger Ailes-created yes, echo yes, chamber. Yes, yes, so let's right. not pretend it's not anything other than that. Well, hang on. Yes and no, because remember, the independents in the, are part of Donald Trump's base. And I think that's very important. A lot of times we say Republicans are Donald Trump's base. Not really. They're, they're, no, it's they're, a separate they're, they're, Trump. It is a different version of the Republican Party. But those Party. independents also distrust the media. This is not just Republicans. It is many Americans across. Oh, the no, no, no. I take your point. Right. I'm just saying it was a creation. It was a campaign tactic. It's not like based in much. I, I do think it's worth saying, though. You know, to to kind of get away from all the politics, what the leaders are saying about this needing to be bipartisan and so forth. They're right. The founders did not intend impeachment to be a tool for what they referred to as maladministration. If you don't like what a president is doing, you have a tool to get rid of that president. Vote him out. Yeah. It's designed for treason, bribery, high crimes, and misdemeanors. And I feel like there are enough people who say, oh, I'd rather we just mobilize for 2020 than try to throw him out now. That, that right. sets a dangerous precedent. Well, that's why I think it is Russia has to be a part right. of it if you ever even get in there. Mm. All right, guys, that's all we have for today. I, la I labeled that my closing argument. Because it is the intersectionality of media bias and arrogance of progressives. They believe they're always right. When facts are against them, they, that it don't align with their worldview, they just ignore it. They just don't care. Um, and I think it sums up what's wrong with our country. Why we truly are divisive. It's not Donald Trump. It's our media. It's our media, because if you tune in, you're told every day, if you don't think like us, you're un-American. You're not part of the country and where we're going. And I believe it's built upon eight years of Obama doing the same thing. They, they had a like-minded president that told everybody, this is the way it's going to be. We're going to change. We're going to drastically change the face of America. And America may be a very diverse melting pot. America may not be all conservative and not Christians and all that stuff, but they're not what these people are. Um, these people wouldn't know real America if it bit them in their ass. So, you know, I, I'm not a, pro, a prognosticator. I'm not going to say Trump isn't going to be impeached. I think if the House flips, they're going to try to impeach him for anything. But I truly believe if they do, it will be tough sledding in 2020 for a Democratic president. I think the American people, just like they did with Bill Clinton, are going to pay the party that does such political kabuki theater like this based on nothing just because they didn't get their way. I, I think it's going to hurt them. And I don't think they understand the ramifications of Pence. Pence is a good man. You can talk all day about conversion therapy. Most Americans' eyes are going to glaze over and they really don't give a fuck because they're religious. This country is still majority religious, whether you want to agree with it or not, atheists. It is. It's a religious country. And they're going to let that slide because he's moderate. He's not extreme on any other policy. He's a statesman and he's a good man. The more you dogged him for not being behind closed doors with females because he's a gentleman and use that against him simultaneously talking about rape culture, which makes no goddamn sense. Most Americans in the hinterland where you're not went, well, that's okay. I do that. I leave the door open when I talk to females. When I was working, I never shut a door. It's inappropriate. 
Plus, it's in this current world of rabid Nazi feminists, I mean, goddamn, one girl doesn't get her way, she claims rape. He taught us that in drill sergeant school because it happens. So, I don't see it happening, but if it does, it's going to hurt the Democratic Party. Because now it's clearly obvious with the media and them, it isn't about law. It hasn't been about the Constitution since they lost the election. They want to shit-can the Constitution. I mean, they want to go with a totally different Constitution, and I think it's going to it's gonna hurt them. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends, send comments and suggestions for segments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com get the show on soundcloud podcast addict tuner radio google play itunes blueberry and stitcher remember to check out the flyover politic webpage at fopodcast.com foppodcast.com it's a theme to see links to feeds for the show links to our facebook page and email us there you'll see a link to every episode on the episode release page and nothing on my blog because i don't blog our next show will be 31 august year of our lord 2017 I'm going to go fishing tomorrow. i got cleaning day Thursday where I sterilize the house from top and bottom. But I have a good podcast. And we'll go back to our normal format. I think I'll start rotating from Fred in San Jose. Uh, the first podcast of the week will be this way. The second podcast will be the old way. But I will incorporate the hate tweets first and the tweets, uh, the tweet of the day last. Because I kind of liked it. Hope you like the new bumpers. Uh... Take care of business. Bachman Turner Overdrive. And I know he's a lib, but man, if you're a music person, Sweet Baby James was a fantastic album. I mean, James Taylor, that was pretty classic. And I hope you like the sound effects. Um, You know, I do the music, but it's really wrong. I shouldn't be. When it gets to Christmas or Halloween, I'll play, you know, real music. But from now on, I think I'll do some little bit of atmospheric sounds to let you ease your mind in between segments if anything if you're like me when you you know i used to travel for a living it might be able to be something you can replay and uh get some sleep you can find all these sounds that i'll be playing on youtube there's a couple channels um that have eight hours nine hours ten hours of rain and amazon Prime, if you have Amazon Prime, maybe you have a Roku or in your laptop, they also feature um, eight hours of some kind of sound to put you to sleep. Even white noise, noise, just like a fan playing. So um, if you have sleep problems like I used to, that usually helps. I hope you all stay safe out there. I played the snow on purpose. It's hot as shit down here with strong storms. Looks like the forecast is to be wet and cold in the south during the fall. It's going to be drier in the northeast, and it's going to be warmer in the west. Uh, the southwest, excuse me. Um, so it looks like we're going to have an Indian summer. But be careful out there. Take care. Remember to disconnect from all your applications and fucking devices. And don't give the yeah yeahs. I hope you have a fantastic week. I'll talk with you Friday, and as always, thanks for listening, and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.
Yeah.